Hello, and welcome to a very special bonus episode, believe it or not, of Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. And joining us for the first time ever, somehow, believe it or not, uh, is our good friend, uh, partner of Alana Oaken, who has been on the show many times, and uh, a Gimlet superstar, Brendan Klinkenberg. <laughs> What's up, guys? How's it going? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you so yeah. much for being here. Uh, finally, we've been waiting for the right game to have you on. And uh, God of War 2018, the one we're discussing today, seemed to be the one. It's, it's a pretty good game. It's a pretty good video game. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm fond of it. <laughs> <laughs> so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for, for joining for this one. Um, God of War 2018, listeners may know, is... Uh, I was almost going to say contentious. It's not a contentious game. It's just a game that like has been floating around as a, in the possibility space of bonuses for such a long time, it feels like. I brought it up for the first time in the 2018 game of the year where it was on my list. Steven, it wasn't on your list because you hadn't really played past the first like half hour ish, which I imagine we'll get into. Um, but I made a decree that you needed to finish it and we would one day talk about it for real. Uh, and and <laughs> this is, this has been a four year quest at this point. Yeah. I kept you waiting. Yeah. <laughs> I really strung it along. Always waiting for the right moment to be clear. I mean, there, there's so many yeah. games in that possibility space and God of war is just the one we plucked out from the cloud today. I mean, I remember at that time I had started it like pretty, like it was right around when we were recording that game of the year episode and even having only played it for like basically 45 minutes, it was an honorable mention because I was like, yeah. I know like we both kind of knew once I actually played it, it would it would be in there somewhere. And obviously those episodes are always reflective of the time. So it's like not trying to retcon what I chose at that time, especially because we had only been doing the show for half the year. So like that was maybe the most like uneven or at least usually now our lists like share at least five or six games. But mm -hmm. like then we had half the year not doing the show together. So like there were a lot more surprises like, oh, you played that in February? What? Like, you know, um, <laughs> All that to say, I'm I'm so grateful I finally played it. Uh, I'm excited to talk about it with both of you. Yeah. Brendan, I'd love to hear your, you said you're fond of this game. I'd love to hear just your experience overall with this game, with the franchise. And like, you know, when did you play it? How was that experience? You know, just your history with it overall. Yeah. So uh, first God of War game I played was three. I don't know when that came out, like 20. That was like 2010. Yeah. 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 Um, so that came out when I was in college and I, um, got really into it with my best friend from college when we'd like just met it was um mm. you know those like very intense friendships where you spend a lot of time together and like are like yeah what's your whole deal tell, tell me about everything <laughs> yeah <laughs> so we would like on wednesday nights uh just camp out at my apartment switch off whenever someone died and like drink a lot of beers playing god of war 3 because it's not a game you have to focus on too much it's like a good like just kind of have it on because mm -hmm. uh Young men can't make eye contact, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I remember my main memory of it is it was fun. But then uh, I think whenever we were playing for a few hours, I and I drank too much, I would eventually be like, these puzzles are impossible. <laughs> and I would never and then I would go back the next day and be like, hmm, you shouldn't have been playing. That was that was 
That wasn't a hard puzzle. It is funny how much of the old God of War games are puzzles. You wouldn't really expect that. Like half of the first God of War is just like puzzles and tightrope walking. Like they really just like went all out on like, can you balance on this tightrope? It's like spectacle fighting gods and monsters and like, you know, Tetris and balance. And Cirque du Soleil. Yeah, Yeah, so bizarre. But it didn't really like leave any impressions. Like it was just kind of a bro-y fun game that I I liked, but didn't have any real attachment to. And then um, by the time 2018 God of War came around, I was living in New York with, Killian, the the friend from college, and so mm. we just kind of like picked it back up again. Oh wow, um, cool! Yeah, we didn't do the switch off thing because this game was better. Like I think pretty much immediately <laughs> I was like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start my own file. We're not we're not doing that. Um, and I think from my memory, I played it really really quickly. I really liked it. Kind of mm-hmm. just didn't put it down until it was done, which is rare for me with games. It usually takes me a really long time to finish basically anything. Yeah, and this one was just such a blast. Um, and I think I played it really quickly and when I went back to it now I was like oh I don't remember anything it's like binge watching Mm -hmm. a tv show where like I forgot a lot of details (laughs) about like what actually happens in this game it was as as fun as I remembered it and I thought I'd remembered the whole plot and like I remembered like the beginning and the end Mm, nothing in the middle you forgot Alfheim? What the hell? <laughs> no, I remembered Alfheim, but I forgot. About, <laughs> I forgot you had a head li- head companion. Like I just you forgot Mimir. Oh my god! As soon as he's back, you're like, oh yeah, that's a huge part sure. of this game. Yeah, it's yeah. maybe <laughs> no reason to play the game. Yeah, but while like until I, until I got to him, I was like, oh, this is yeah, me and my son. <laughs> that's the <Yeah>. crew. <laughs> He does become normal very quickly. Like you very quickly forget there's a disembodied head on your belt who's basically your Navi in in Norse mythology. Yeah, which usually you'd remember all the time. But he right. <laughs> they do a good job of having him blend in. Steven, what is what how was it? How was it playing God of War this time? So yeah, I mean, I guess like I, I played kind of similar, Brendan. I played the very first one, which that was on PS2, I think in 2005. So I was in high school then. Yeah. And I went to a friend's house and it was very much a friend who's like, yo, look what I got. You know, like one of those high school friends, like check this game out. I had the exact same situation. There was a kid who lived around <laughs> the corner from me. Same. He like texted me and was, or it might've yeah. even been on like aim at that point. And he was like, dude, you got to come over and see what I got. And he wouldn't tell me until like, it just said, God of War. I was like, yeah. oh shit. I can't remember whether i liked it or not but i i distinctly remember asking so are you the good guy that i just remember (laughs) that like it's like etched in my head which weirdly is actually the perfect question to ask going into this one but i mean god of war one two and three they have their place i think like i think they're pretty easy to scoff at now i feel like we use the term mountain dew energy a lot and i feel like those games are very much in that realm where i feel like when you look at like the games coming out for PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2, that was the era where cutscenes were becoming sort of a novelty, like games that wanted to showcase the hardware of PlayStation or wanted to tell larger stories than the ones that were sort of implied on older consoles visually at least. Mm-hmm. You know, Final Fantasy 7 and 8 were 3 and 4 discs long just because of how big the cutscenes were. Um <laughs> and I do think you can give credit to God of War for, you know, this is another thing we scoffed at now the quick time event but i think combining the spectacle of a cutscene with actually still giving control to the player that was a really important event in 
that era of game. Absolutely. And I think that led directly to games like Uncharted and a lot of the PlayStation Studios games that are kind of all about making things feel cinematic while still giving you control. Like Uncharted is like, all, that's what they're trying to do as a series. So then you can recognize what God of War like did for games as a medium. But, you know, playing them now, it kind of feels like you're playing Mortal Kombat, but with no sense of humor. It is, it is sort of a display of gore and violence. And I do think there's some interesting things with the mythology in two specifically but i don't really know if i'd recommend playing them now but i think it's really interesting to like have that history going into this game and i think even if you haven't played god of war like it's a big enough series that you probably know it and probably know that that's what the series is like oh that's like that really violent game that like you know came out 10 years ago right so going into 2018 i think it's really such a bold move that they they chose to not retcon the series. I think it could have been, it's been long enough that they could have been like, hey, that was like kind of the problematic era of of the late aughts, early 2010s. We've all moved on from that in mm-hmm. some way. Let's, let's make God of War more mature. And that's what they're doing. But I think by really making those events in God of War, Kratos's past, like his, his actual past as a character, something that haunts him is a brilliant choice. So all that to say, I think this game is a masterpiece. I think that if you, if you haven't played games in a really long time and you needed one game to just sort of catch you up to what games are doing (laughs) now, like overall, I would actually say, play this game. Not to say that it's like the best one ever, but I just think like, it's kind of doing everything modern AAA games are trying to do now. You know, and actually, I told you both before we started recording to prepare for this bonus. I also uh, went back and played the opening of The Last of Us, um, Uncharted 4, Marvel Spider-Man and the original God of War, just to kind of have that in my head while we're talking about this. And it's really fascinating to see, like, on one hand, if you were to hear the pitch on paper, this game might sound a little bit like it was made in a lab where it's like, what if we combined the spectacle and platforming of of Uncharted with the sad dad (laughs) narrative of The Last of Us? I think it's definitely pulling from all those games, but I think it does so, so successfully because everything in the game aids the narrative and aids the themes. All the enemies you fight, if you look at the codex, every enemy in this game is some type of creature that's stuck in an endless, pointless battle. Like They're all characters that mm. can't move on. And I think that's just a, such a brilliant touch. And I am restraining myself to not talk more specifically about certain examples and details until we get to spoilers, because this will be spoiler-free. But I was really moved by this game. I think it's it's I think it's a great example of what AAA games can do because as much as like as much as I think it's easy to write giant games like this off and there's a lot to be critical of on a business perspective, I think that there's a huge place in any medium for the blockbuster and I think it's really refreshing to see a blockbuster like this just be so impressive in every way on a technical level but also actually be saying something meaningful. I loved it. I thought it was a really moving story and I can't wait to say more about it. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy to hear that. That's that's so good. Yeah. For my piece, I mean, I've talked about this game on the show multiple times at this point, but for my piece, I played it when it came out, loved it, thought it was great. I actually specifically remember downloading the game onto my PlayStation 4 onto the shitty TV that I had that was like 720p <laughs> maximum that I got for free because I signed up for Verizon at an apartment that I was at once. Oh, uh, yeah. And Deals. Shout out to Verizon. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Yo, Fios. Um, immediately... <laughs> 
loaded the game up, got like 10 minutes in and said, absolutely not. And drove to Best Buy and got a PlayStation 4 Pro and a 4K TV. (laughs) (laughs) And then set them up, which are way too, way too big for my apartment at the time, but set it all up and was like, now I will play God of War. And I really just ripped through that game. As I've said on the show before, it was uh, one of my games of the year. I forced it onto our list, even though you were only 45 minutes in. So it made our top five as well. Um, I, I really loved it. I thought, I thought it was really spectacular and i've been really really looking forward to ragnarok specifically especially because this game sets it up so heavily which we'll talk a lot about later um but revisiting it for the show has been really interesting because i i remember us planning this a couple months ago um brendan we reached out to you and said like hey we'd love to have you on for this and uh Mm -hmm. you said that you started playing it immediately and i was like i'll I'll check it out too I'll, i'll i'll start playing it and like again ripped through it and thankfully this time i didn't feel compelled to play everything which mm-hmm. I did the first time. The first time I really did like ever, and I'm going to go into some of the stuff that you can do that the game just doesn't even allude to at all. Um, that is amazing and just like a whole different side of God of War than I think some people even realize because they expect it to just be the like kind of Last of Us but your Kratos this time experience. Um, <laughs> but I, I just I just think it's such a special thing. And I feel so strongly that even if Ragnarok comes out and is disappointing, not that I think it will be, but if it comes out and is disappointing, I almost won't even care at all about how that reflects on this. Like, I don't think I don't think Ragnarok being less than will make this game any less special in my head specifically, because I I think it's such a shining example, Steven, as you were saying, of what the triple A blockbuster space is capable of. And it's almost like a watermark by which you can set a lot of this stuff against, because I find so frequently like you, Steven, I also went back and played the openings of a lot of PlayStation Studios games. Thankfully, they're all available in the PlayStation Plus collection, which is really nice, uh, or most of them are. Um, but you get the sense every once in a while with some of them that they're almost receding into mediums that aren't video games. Like every once in a while you get the sense that they, they want to be taken seriously and therefore like you shouldn't have that much control. They just need to be cinematic. Um, and God of War so leans into being a video game in ways that I think are celebratory of not only the medium itself, but of the game's own past in ways that I don't want to say without spoiling. But I, I just think it's a really special experience. The moment I got, you know, what you're saying about the game Revels being a game is <laughs> the first time I saw Kratos punch through the top of a treasure chest rather than just opening it. I, I was like, oh, yeah, I am all in on this. Yes. It's the same guy that was born on the PlayStation 2. Right. And I think that's what makes this game so special, too, is like, yes, there's a lot of Uncharted. Yes, there's a lot of Last of Us. Those are two games I love. Like, I'm not saying that to pit them against each other. Like, I I think Uncharted and Last of Us have influenced so many games, and it's no coincidence they're influencing other PlayStation games. But I think just like it's not retconning the narrative of God of War, it's also still doing what God of War did well on PS2 and PS3. You know, it's giving you that kind of campy, over-the-top spectacle. This game will make you, like, cheer and and yell and scream out of fear for the safety of these characters. And then once you beat the enemy, they explode into collectibles that are <laughs> the most, like, specific. That's, that's It's, like, my favorite and least favorite thing about this game is, like, the D&D second edition level of detail on every item you get. It's, like, this item gives you, like, 15% more permafrost every millisecond mm-hmm. when you're guarding. It's, like, I'm never going to know I'm using this. But I'm glad I have it. I love that I have it. Thank you. Yeah. Um. So like 
And I think if I had to say like one, not that, you know, we're like giving pros and cons, but like, I think one thing I can fault this game for is I think the UI is kind of a mess. Like whenever I pause the game and like try to find where to go, like I love everything there, but there's just like so much. I never felt confident kind of navigating and switching the menus. Oh uh, yeah. This was, this was, this was my second time playing and I still don't understand armor. Yeah. Like, really. <laughs> like, I'm like I got it up there enough. I'm at the same number as the enemies I'm fighting. I, like I have no, I think in some other games I'll like tinker like with my, my setup for, mm-hmm. for a bunch of different reasons. And in this one, I'm like, ah, I want to go hit people more. Like, right. And like, yeah. I'm like, okay, the old, and then that's the other thing about this game is it's just so fun. Like on a, yeah. Like, minute to minute basis where you mentioned like it's like a blockbuster but it's like a crowd pleaser like it's really it is. like trying to make sure you're having a lot of fun i think a lot of the i was reading a lot of reviews i did not start a bunch of new games in preparation but so much of the reviews were focusing on like oh it's not like your dad's god of war like they're making all of these like emotional like choices it's a smarter more restrained game it's doing all of this interesting stuff with the like basic idea of this franchise mm. But like, it's also really fun to like to just have a hundred enemies in front of you, and you're like, I'm going to hit a bunch of buttons and see yeah. what happens. Um, <laughs> and in a way that I feel like, if you're comparing it to like Last of Us or Uncharted, like sometimes those big fights get really tiresome in those games. Um, yes. And the combat in this game is always fun. Like, like even like before the ending of the game, I like know I'm going to my last mission. I'm like. Wonder if there's any islands with some guys on there that I can I can fight before I before I wrap this up. <laughs> yeah, it, it gets it gets better as the iterations go on, but Uncharted as a series, like you said, is very uncomfortable with like it, like if they feel like a little bit too much time has passed without a firefight, they'll like throw a bunch of guys at you. And like the moments I love of Uncharted the most are just like soaking in the scenery and, and climbing stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think you're right. Like this is something that I think God of War as a series has always done well, but if we're calling out other PlayStation Studios games, I think Insomniac are are the best at being like, what is like the mechanic we're going to base this whole game around? You know, and mm-hmm. they're really good at traversals. So like in Spider-Man, it's just so fun to swing around. And in Ratchet and Clank, you're getting all these bizarre weapons. And I think like really like God of War just they give you the gift of the Leviathan axe and like so good as much as we can praise everything else, almost nothing else matters. The game could just be like a gray nothingness and have the ability to have Kratos throw and call that axe back. And I think we would still be talking about it because <laughs> it's just so much fun to do that. It's like such a brilliant mechanic. And I, I also think adding to what we said before, all the various weapons you get, which I won't say out of spoilers, but like they all, fit a narrative purpose and they're all a different side of kratos as well which i think is really cool it's like so well done can we do a leviathan axe corner just to like it's just (laughs) (laughs) aj play us into the leviathan axe corner (laughs) that axe you got you gotta handle her special because like i like if you've played any of the other god of war games you are he's not a a guy who has a big axe like it's like right (laughs) right from the beginning it's like you got an axe if you throw the axe, you can call it back. And I'm like, well, that's all new to me. I, I love this. Um, and then I don't know if it was because of the new PS5 controller, but it feels so good to use. And like, yeah. I don't remember if it was always like that or if like they figured out. Um, but it yeah. feel, like when you call the axe back, it feels incredible. It might play with the DualSense stuff. I'm not sure if it does, but there, there's one move in particular that you can unlock for the Leviathan axe and the skill tree at one point where if you... 
you essentially throw the axe in front of you, and if you hold down the throw button, it'll spin the axe around in mm-hmm. front of you a little yeah. bit. And yeah. if you have an enemy in front of you, you can feel every time the like the actual blade of the axe hits that enemy, every time it's spinning around, and then it comes back to your hand immediately. And that by itself, like that is not the the move that I would really even recommend you use for mm-hmm. the entirety of the game. But it just felt so good with the controller that I was like, no, 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 no. This, this is actually just a part of my kit forever. I'm not even going to consider other things or other options <laughs> yeah. for this specific slot for the rest of the video game this time. And it was a uh, it was worth it. What's really interesting, too, is that Kratos uses the axe for everything, which adds to this like singular focus of the character like he. He lights a fire with the axe in the very beginning. He uses it to solve all the puzzles. So like, which I love, I love that yeah. it's aiding this idea early on that like all Kratos really knows how to do is destroy things. So even when he's doing puzzles or all this, you're still using that central mechanic. That's so fun. You know, I think that's like a, a huge plus of this game. And I think it, it makes those moments. Cause I, I feel like a lot of the PlayStation studios games have these like really well paced beats, but you know, you'll have this sort of like, walking together dialogue scenery moment and then whatever like the action of the game is that will start like we were saying with uncharted but with god of war it never feels like they're distinct pieces it all flows so seamlessly partially because of the of the no cuts camera following you the whole time but also because like you kind of know that you're using a singular tool for any problem whether it's combat or puzzles or anything so that makes unlike the older God of Wars, it makes the puzzle sequences feel just like another part of it and not like, well, we got to have a break. So here's some puzzles. Yeah. Um, Here's a tightrope. Good luck. Here's a tightrope. I love it. Like you died. I'm like, I'm just trying to balance with PS2 controls, man. It's pretty hard. I will say just on a high level, you know, while we're still, I would say early in this recording, if you haven't played God of War, I really implore that you go give it a shot at least. Um, It's, it's a really incredible thing. It's available on PC now as well, which is really cool. Um, it's available in the PlayStation Plus collection. If you have that, if you you know have a PlayStation, um, it it works on PlayStation Four and above. Uh, it's it's a it's a really remarkable video game, and I I wouldn't want to spoil anything that happens in it for you because one of the things that we haven't even gone into for spoiler reasons is that the narrative is just so incredible. Um, we've already alluded to the way that it relates to the earlier God of War games, which we'll get into later, I imagine. Um, but it's, it's ability to take that context and weave it into like a larger statement just about, I would say like masculinity and fatherhood and so much more than that is really powerful. I mean, even, even if you don't, even if you don't feel like you will connect to that stuff, I think on some base level, the characters are so compelling, um, and so wonderful to be around that you, you will connect you will relate you will be moved by the time the credits end up rolling even even just the relation to norse mythology by itself is fascinating and cool i mean uh the day that this episode comes out we're also releasing our patreon bonus about neil gaiman's norse mythology which is uh neil gaiman's essentially rewrite of the poetic and prose eddas uh, of norse mythology like just that world is so cool and seeing sony santa monica's take on that by itself is worth seeing there's there's a lot to love Absolutely. That was beautifully said, Brendan. But I I will add that if you are possibly on the fence due to the historical violence of this series, everyone has different comfort levels with this. So I don't want to like say anything objectively, but this is noticeably less gruesome than the earlier games. Like pretty much most of the creatures you fight are, are Draugr or like trolls. So it's, it's like brutal, 
but it's usually not against a humanoid character and usually the blood is like sap or something there are like distinct moments where it definitely is violent but i feel like the violence against the more human looking characters is given a lot more weight and meaning than sort of the like fatality style scenes in the earlier games so i think if that if that's like a deal breaker for you you definitely like maybe do some research of your own but i think that that's something that i don't enjoy is like gore and i i had no issues with the game personally so I just wanted to say that as well. I will say that if you uh, don't like the look of Mountain Dew voltage, <laughs> then maybe also steer clear because a lot of the enemies bleed blue Mountain Dew. Uh, it just That's a, true. just a vibrant, icy blue all over the place. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of dew in this game for sure. <laughs> I don't mind keeping this bit short so we can actually talk about stuff. But uh, if you guys have more that you want to throw into the non-spoiler section, uh, by all means. I think that's it for me for now. Brenda, do you have anything? No, not really. I think um, I think that, co- that, that covered it for me. All right. Cool. Well, we're going to take a quick break and then come back and talk about just like what happens in the video game, uh, which I think will lead to a lot of conversations. Uh, so stay tuned, dear listener. I don't know why I'm treating this one like more of a radio thing than usual. I think Brendan, you're in like a real, <laughs> we should mention this. Steven and I are just recording in our houses like we usually do. Brendan's like in a like a recording studio. Yeah, uh, I, I work for, uh, I'm at the Spotify's Brooklyn offices um, and just kind of took over one of the podcast studios um, because uh, that's my job. I just stayed at work late tonight. Yeah. Everyone thinks I'm Hell really yeah. busy. <laughs> I love that. Uh, well, if you get a promotion because of us, you're welcome. I'll split the money. <laughs> yes, that's on that's on the, the audio file. Hell yeah. But it all goes, but it all goes to the Patreon. <laughs> Even better. We'll talk to you later, dear listener. See you soon. Welcome back. Uh, this is going to be your last spoiler warning. If you care what happens in God of War 2018, I would recommend playing the video game or like maybe like watching a YouTube video or something. But I mean, you should play the video game. It's pretty good. It's a pretty good video game. Uh, we're going to talk about everything that happens in it now. Um, and there are a bunch of things that we didn't even like get to really touch on at all, because as we were just discussing in the break, most things that are even mechanics are spoilers somehow in this game. Yeah, him <laughs> him bandaging his arm is a spoiler. So that's where we were at with the with the spoiler free opening. Uh, and that also that connects to like how everything in this game has narrative meaning and intention. Yes. My one of my favorite things just before we get into it, like I love that the game's version of Oblivion NPC quest givers are the spirits where they're like, help, I need three wolf skins from the sunken <laughs> ship, you know? And like there's a whole arc of Kratos like needing to accept that side quests are like an important part of being a dad, which I love so much. Like, well, I think that's the that's the, actually yeah. the first spoiler is Kratos has a son. That's right. That's right. He uh, pretty quickly revealed. Yeah. But yeah, he uh, he has a son named Atreus, um, who is revealed fairly early on in, in the opening of the game. And uh, basically the game is the two of you. So very similar to The Last of Us in some ways, though I think even early on, the player has a little bit more control over Atreus than like of Ellie uh, in Last of Us. Although you do eventually play as Ellie in Last of Us for a bit. With Atreus, you are 
leveling him up and and changing his equipment uh fairly early on and as the game continues it does kind of feel like you've raised him in a sense <laughs> like you know you've given him like the abilities he needs to fight unequal footing with you which is really cool to see i love like you know going from just like a character hiding in the back with the bow and arrow to like as you pull off combos he's also like adding his own to it like there's a moment when you're in spartan rage where you just like stomp on the ground and then he like runs and jumps off your back and fires an arrow it's sick it's so cool like i love seeing that like that unannounced character growth just in the combat is such a such a beautiful touch to this game yeah it's worth it's worth mentioning at the start of the game you're like teaching him how to shoot an arrow at a deer like that's that's where yeah. that's the starting point <laughs> that's where it starts like, yeah you're like atreus i need to make sure you know how to hunt all the way to like he's doing backflips and he's like doing the like black widow uh like choking somebody out with his legs <laughs> while you then charge up your axe and cut them in half uh it's incredible yeah he, I, my first playthrough, um, in 2018, I like underestimated Atreus entirely. Mm. Like I was like, it's just, it's a separate skill tree. So like you can spend, yes. um, XP on Kratos's moves, um, and making him stronger, or you can put some of them towards Atreus. And I was always like, I don't know, that little boy can't do too much. Um, I'm going to make Kratos stronger. <laughs> <laughs> like I just was like, I, he's just yeah. around. It's fine. That's so funny. That's the exact opposite of my first, pl- my first playthrough. I like really specked into Atreus and I was like, I'm going to make him the most useful dude I could possibly make him, uh, which was honestly really helpful. It just never, it never occurred to me. <laughs> I like just didn't think that that would happen. Did um, you, did you try the other way this time? This time? I think, I think I, w- I had some, like I had some, some memories of like at the very end of the game when i had like extra points i like got atreus from like first level to last level very quickly and i was like oh i should have done this hours like yeah 10 hours ago um and so this time i i basically just kept him like as far up his progression tree as i, I could at any time mm-hmm. and it was much more fun yeah i i think the game kind of gently nudges you towards like focusing on him because i think most players will do what you did brendan where like you're playing as Kratos, you're probably going to upgrade Kratos first. But pretty early on, once you like fight the like tutorial boss in some ways, you fight a revenant, like a ghost creature. Mm-hmm. And the only way to fight them is with your fists and with Atreus's bow. So essentially, by pushing square, Atreus will fire their bow. And usually that just does it does like pretty small damage at first, but will build up kind of like Sekiro, like a guard break thing. And the ghosts are too fast for your axe. So like that's the first fight where the game is kind of showing you like you're going to have to fight as a team and not just like Kratos with his son, basically. Yeah. And ev- eventually starting to get some of the like other kinds of arrows uh, that, you know, yeah. do s- different elemental attacks and the ability to level up those specific arrow sets and the way that those elemental attacks affect enemies um, adds a lot more strategy to the combat than I was expecting, honestly, which is I, I think the beginning of a of a longer segue I'll get to at some point in this recording I imagine but the way the combat starts off I think very simply and layers itself slowly over time it doesn't even layer itself really it just kind of reveals itself to be much deeper than you think it is all mm-hmm. the way until some of the final like post game missions that you can go after which are like just dark souls like they yeah. really <laughs> just get to the level of being as difficult and as I would say like pinpoint accurate demanding as a dark souls game at times uh, which is really 
kind of amazing that it has that breadth that it can accomplish so many things from just fighting like one zombie in the woods in the beginning to like i'm gonna fight the queen of the valkyries and that's gonna mm-hmm. take me maybe <laughs> 55 minutes um with the with the different eras i felt like this time especially i'm sure i, I got the hang of it eventually on my last playthrough but you'll kind of like analyze like is which arrows am i going to use in this fight like is this going to be the electric arrows or is this going to be the stun arrows like which which direction is this fight going to be and as you fight more of the same kinds of i feel like they they throw a lot of the same enemies at you they just continually get harder and a little more entertaining to fight throughout the game (laughs) and like you start to figure out how atreus is gonna help you Mm -hmm. Um, because sometimes it's just slowing down a big crowd but other times it's like i'll focus him on one big person yeah and then i'll get that that big uh what's what's it called when you uh, the finishing melee move thing do they have a word for it? I don't know. Oh, just like the R, the R3 yeah, the R3. <laughs> the, the thing. <laughs> yeah. Dad's yeah. Revenge. Yeah. The big one. <laughs> the big one. <laughs> the PS2 move. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think of all those moves in the very beginning when, when the stranger first appears at the cabin mm. and Kratos just goes, you do not want this fight. I'm like, I think about like all the like awful ways Kratos has killed so many people and gods. And he's like, you don't want to fuck with me. Like yeah. you have no idea what I'm capable of. But yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I think that that breadth of combat, the way that this game can veer between just like sort of a, a fun button mashy power fantasy to a very thoughtful and strategic uh encounter that also kind of shows kratos's growth as a character as well Mm. and i think it also shows the strength of the central mechanic and the deep understanding of the mechanics from the developers who made this game yeah they really like the fact that this one mechanic again can be the solution to puzzles like throwing it at gears to freeze them into place calling it back it's it's always so fun to do and that's something that i think kind of you know i'm not trying to pit them against each other but like there's the infamous like hey can you give me a boost or find a ladder like in every other big playstation game and like this game has kind of figured out like how to make those moments a little bit more engaging because you know usually those moments are so you can get a breath of fresh air and enjoy the scenery yeah but i think that this game does that simultaneously with actually making interesting puzzles and using this central mechanic that's so strong yeah like moments when you're in dungeons and you like launch atreus onto the second floor of Mm -hmm. whatever so he can like knock down a chain or something in the beginning of the game it's just like kratos being an asshole to his son about it is like drop the chain drop the chain you know (laughs) and then like later on in the game atreus is kind of being like moody because of some plot stuff that happens and like he walks so slowly over to the chain before he drops it. It makes you wait. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Stuff like that is like chef's kiss moments every single time they they manage to flip what would in normal situations just end up being like a very rote reused animation that you would see over and over again which kind of the more you know the more you see it it just kind of removes the character from it. It just becomes more of like you can see like the 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 mesh of the character walking around um those moments when they surprise you or use it to aid character moments are really special yeah i always one of the things that i found a little bit tiring on this on this playthrough was the climbing where i was like i don't, yeah. I don't need i don't need this this is not like it i i, I think it's i'm sure it's a like a, a bit of a strategy to like load the next area that you're going to be in but mm, um sure i was always like this isn't even like on the uncharted level of like a being a little bit of a puzzle as you go but atreus jumps on your back every time it's real cute i liked that i <laughs> i have a theory i have a theory that like the same code that's used to call the axe back is used to have atreus jump on your back because sometimes he'll be like really far and when i jump on a cliff it's like 
son. Like he, just, you know, like he, just, he just like magnetizes to Kratos. Uh, it's really funny to see. I, I liked the climbing, but I get where you're coming from. I feel like that is like, that is a pending action. It's not an active action. Yeah. Like that mm-hmm. is like the in-between moments. Um, but I think it's like just a testament to the, this world, this is so beautiful to be in. And that's like, mm. you know, the the big thing is like the way, and this goes into how this team has, has interpreted and, and, and delivered their take on Norse mythology, like seeing the different realms. I love how every realm has a distinct color palette. Like Helheim has that really eerie green. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah. even if you like, maybe like drop the controller and don't know where you're going from the central realm room, like when the doors open, you'll know like, oh, okay, I see that glaring red. It's Muspelheim. I see the green it's, it's Helheim. And and, and Midgar especially, I mean, that's where most of the attention is. And that's mm-hmm. where also like you spend most of the game and it's the largest area as well. Um, that had the potential of being like the boring place because it's, it's the realm of mortals. Like what fun story in Norse mythology happens in Midgard. Uh, but it's just so stunning. And it's so cool to see the history of the world. And like as you learn more about mythology and the stories and and what has happened to this place and who the world serpent is like it, it does have that atmospheric storytelling that you would see in a FromSoft game as well. I also just think, and this is something we were talking about a bit off the show, but this game's approach to sort of being an open world is really interesting to me. I, in my head, I was like, this is kind of like an ocarina of time open world where like, it's not huge. And the game is largely telling you where to go next, but it's open enough that if you want to explore, you can. Yeah. I think that's a great approach for a big blockbuster like this because I, for some reason I just like, I, one of my favorite things about like Spider-Man and Ratchet and Clank were just like how concise they were. Not even that they were short, but just like, you know, it was just 12 hours of pure joy. Like it just, it was just fun from start to finish. I didn't feel like the game was demanding too much of me. If I wanted to go and collect everything I could, but that wasn't really like a demand. And this game is very similar, but it's doing a little bit more than that. Even like if you just, follow the plot it's like a 25 hour long game yeah. but if you explore not only are you going to find cool items and stuff but you're just going to know more about the world like i actually didn't do this until shortly before we recorded i went back to alfheim um mm-hmm. i hadn't gone back yes. there uh since i had to go for story reasons and when you first go to alfheim the dark elves are in control and the and the whole realm has kind of a, a twilight look to it like it's a very a uh, beautiful but dark place. Like you, it kind of has like a Daedric realm energy to it. And when you're there, you sort of accidentally end up fighting in a war on the side of the light elves. <laughs> uh, and it's one of those. It's one of the first moments where you're like, listen to your dad, Atreus, because Atreus is is this energetic, curious child who like wants to know about the world. He he's the opposite of his father in a sense, where he wants to connect and learn and discover and help people. Um, and in this case, Kratos is like, we shouldn't get involved. This is not our battle. Um, there's a great line he has where, uh, Atreus sees a soldier killing, like an elf killing another elf. And he's like, we should help. And he's like, you're seeing the end of a war. You don't know what came before or after. Yeah. Uh, we shouldn't interfere. And by interfering, you end up basically being the determining factor of this war. And when you go back, the light elves are in charge and it's like totally different. It's been transformed. It's it's such a like, you would totally miss that if you just didn't have like a passing interest like what's up in Alfheim you know and then having Mimir with you who we'll get to I'm sure like talking about the history of the place and that's an, yet another place where there are characters stuck in kind of an endless cycle and they don't even he, Mimir has a line where he essentially says 
they wouldn't really know who they were without this conflict. Like they have mm-hmm. no identity outside of fighting this endless war, mm-hmm. which again, aids the themes. Uh, just, it's so cool. I think that I, 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 as much as I love a big open world to get lost in like Ghost of Tsushima or Skyrim, I think that this is a really nice and uncommon balance of a game that is very guided and a very point A to point B main story, but gives you just enough to not overwhelm you, but to reward the curious. Yeah, I, I'm really blown away. And this is one of the things I was most excited to talk to you about, Stephen, when we initially said like, hey, we're finally going to do this is is this idea of the game starting out as a pretty much like on rails, kind of what you would expect from PlayStation Studios over-the-shoulder third-person action-adventure game that's just, like, leading you from mission to mission, story to story, whatever. It's the first time you're able to move the world serpent, Yorgmander, uh, and and he lowers the... He just, like, changes the level of the water in the lake in, in Midgard around Tyr's Temple, which is kind of, like, your your hub, your home base, that the world, like, opens up for the first time. And you, you can immediately, if you want to, just say, I'm just going to go explore. What I love about that specifically is Atreus, like, really wants to do it. He's like, we could go do whatever you want, or we could, you know, keep on with the mission. And Kratos is like, mission. Uh, it's like, oh, okay. Um... <laughs> But main quest. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you can, if you want, just like go out and start doing stuff at that point. But they still limit you. There's still there's still things you're going to bump up against. There's still areas that you won't quite know how to get past because you just don't have the abilities or don't have the toolkit that you need to access those points. But they do make it surprisingly open right there. And I remember playing this and thinking like, what a neat magic trick. This was a game that I thought was going to be one kind of thing. And now it's a completely different kind of thing. That's really impressive. And then I would say that's like the first like fifth of the game is just like straight on rails thing. The next two fifths of the game are like, wow, I can't believe it's open. And then the last bit of the game, they do it a second time. They, (laughs) for the second time, the world serpent moves and all of the water level changes and the whole world is open and at your, at your fingertips. And that's when you start like unlocking new realms and doing all these side quests you didn't even know were possible. And you have all of these extra tools that you're at your, in your toolkit that will allow you to go check out those places that maybe you couldn't do the first time and to to do it the first time you know to pull that magic trick the first time i think is really impressive to do it a second time and have the world be like literally three times if not four times as big as you think it is when you first start playing the game is remarkable i mean it's like i've never i've i don't think i've seen a game do that i don't think i've seen a game just like pretend to not be an open world game for 15 <laughs> hours you know like that's amazing yeah, no, the, the game's got a lot of like narrative tricks built into the design yeah. that i really really respected um and i think for me i i um i have trouble with the pure open world games like mm. I, I need a little bit of guidance to like get into something yeah um where like trying to think of a good example red dead redemption 2 like you spend like two or so hours like on like what is like ends up being like a tutorial and they're like you're at camp now here's the world and like the map opens up and that's when i stopped playing that game i was like there's too much to do i'm not i'm not getting into this Mm. um i can't decide between these like all these different competing um objectives um and this game never felt that way like by the time you're by the time i was exploring Mm. it was because i like was like oh i just kind of want to see see what's over there but i knew where the next objective was at all times which was helpful for for me to finish the game some people mileage may vary on that did you find yourself doing a lot of the side quests in this game yeah i i ended up doing i think almost all of them hell yeah like anytime there was something extra to do i was like yeah 
Yeah. Why not? Because <laughs> they're, they're all rewarding for character reasons. I mean, we were we were joking. If it's, I don't know why this was the the bit, but in between uh, the the break, we were talking about Fafnir's. What was it like? Fafnir's storeroom. Storeroom. Yeah, which is Fafnir's like a whole storeroom. It's a whole side quest for one of the one of the dwarves. Uh, Brock sends you into Fafnir's storeroom to uh to to acquire some stuff, and it's like really just like a series of like enemy rooms you know it's just like yeah it's like a fetch quest with a with a lot of fighting right yeah yeah waves of combat etc um but you learn a whole lot about brock and you learn learn a whole lot about the world and if you have mimir with you he'll say a whole bunch of stuff um i mean it's all of the side quests are worth doing it's like it's one of the rare games i would say where like the side i i feel like the thing i point to all the time which is maybe unfair but the thing i point to all the time is ghost of tsushima which just has like the foxes that you chase you know and like you chase, you know, 15 to 20 foxes and eventually you're like, I don't think I want to do that anymore. Like, I think I'm done. Like, that's that's not a side quest, really. That's just like another thing that you can do. It's not super worth it eventually. That's also, to be clear, a game that does triple in size over the course of play. And I don't think sticks the landing as well as God of War does in that regard. But I just I think it's amazing how 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 well fleshed out all of these side quests are because uh, they, they don't even really feel like side content. They They feel like. Once you do them, you can't imagine playing the game without doing them. Yeah, there's usually a moment of dialogue between Kratos and Atreus that feels like that was a fundamental moment of their growth. Yes. You know, because like as you could probably guess, early on, Kratos as a father is very guarded. Uh he is borderline cruel, but is very strict with with Atreus. There there are moments early on where you could see he's like going to pat him on the back and doesn't. Like Kratos is burying all emotion, good and bad, beneath right. the surface. And he, he's really just like just sort of base level commands. And Atreus, you know, is is the opposite. And I think I think the handling of Atreus is really great. And I'm sure we'll talk a lot about that as we go through the story's beats. But like early on, obviously he's sort of the surrogate for the audience like we also want to do the side quest we also want to see more of the world like even though we're playing as kratos like we at least i found myself you know agreeing with his son more like oh Mm -hmm. we should like we should like i want to learn about this world i want yeah Yeah. (laughs) right exactly and kratos is like no we need to do the main quest but i think a pitfall of the script could have been Atreus is happy and nice and Kratos is mean and grumpy and then they eventually become friends but like they both have their things to work on they're both they have something to get over in their relationship um and I think that that is really well done and what I love too going back to the side quests and going back to Brock and Itri the dwarven brothers who are the blacksmiths throughout the game they're really the only other characters in the game that are trying to mend a relationship you know, I think in all the side quests and in all the beats of the main plot, you see constantly fractured families and disputes amongst the gods and these never ending rivalries and this pointless violence. And I think it's kind of fun to have Brock and Itri as a kind of a more lighthearted, lower stakes version of what Kratos and Atreus are attempting to do as father mm-hmm. and son, where they're both mourning the loss of their mother in different ways. And I think finding seeing them find understanding with each other and and working together like you know it's going to happen like the minute the game begins like you know they're eventually going to get there but the way they handle that journey it feels so deserved when they finally do it's it's remarkable yeah i I loved whenever a new dialogue option came up for the for the brothers where like every time there was like a a, you could press triangle instead of just going to the shop i was like oh now we're cooking with gas (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, let's let's hear all the hot goss. Give me the drama. Exactly. Um, I'm also drama. realizing you, you we we haven't actually just des- described the main mission of the game, which is Yeah, do you guys want to maybe like go I know we had I mean, I think that was all we got it all out. We're we're cooking we're cooking with gas. Uh <laughs> I think um maybe we start like talking a little bit about the story like in in broad chapters. We're not going to go every beat, but like maybe we can talk a bit about the opening and then the chapters that follow. Sure. Uh do you want to do you want to take us in, Stephen? Yeah, so I even back in 2018, when I was a bit of a clown and hadn't played this game in time for our game of the year episode, um, I think it's hard not to be struck by this opening. Um, The game begins with a tree that has a golden handprint on it. And you see new Kratos. You see sad dad Kratos with his incredible beard uh, by this tree. And he like holds it and is clearly in mourning but then stands up and gets the all too familiar rage in his eyes. And then you're not even given a button prompt, but like, you know what to do sudden, yeah. like the game gives you enough of a pause where you're like, Oh, I'm in control. And you hit R2 and he strikes the tree with an ax and you hit R2 again. And it takes like, it takes much longer than you expect. And I think this is, it's honestly one of my favorite openings of the game because it sets the stage so well with no dialogue. And I don't think you need to know that Kratos was in three other games where he killed the Greek pantheon of gods to like <laughs> appreciate this moment. I think you can just like see this very distraught man upset, but all he can really do is, is strike down a tree. Like those are like, that is as a player, the only thing you can do. And then like, as you know, immediately once the tree is cut down, we see Atreus like enter the frame. And yeah. again, it's worth saying this game has no cuts other than like, when you like pause it or leave, like it's a continuous shot the whole way through, which honestly is really cool. I think it really does pay off. And once you see Atreus, you learn that Kratos and his son, uh, his son is new to the series, are are essentially making a pyre for their late mother who they are cremating. Faye is her name. So it begins with essentially just preparing for the funeral. Um, and I think again like this whole sequence is just incredible visual language like I I mentioned before on the show like in a recent episode how this game shows like a really strong understanding of film just with like lighting and and you know choreography of like who's in the shot who's not and and like moments where Atreus is or excuse me Atreus is mourning in his own way inside the cabin and then the camera rotates to Kratos, who's just like a silhouette. Like the light is totally absent. Stuff like that just it sets the mood so strongly. And I think it really gives more references for how to successfully deliver a cutscene. I think sometimes in games, like when we think of spectacle or cinematic stuff, it's just pure action. Or it's something like um like I think the opening of The Last of Us is still incredible. Yeah. But it's largely dialogue and uh drama, right? Here it's it's really just visual. It's like just tone and imagery. Yeah. I I, th- I think them leaning into it being ominous, you know, because I, I thinking about The Last of Us even, like that game I, I find to have just an absolutely like 
mind-blowing opening I, I oh yeah just i remember the first time i ever played that just like like really openly weeping over the credits like it's really yeah, i can't believe i just casually played it today before recording just like for research <laughs> and i was like a mess yeah like why did i why did i think this would be a quick and easy thing yeah. it was it's still even when you know what's going to happen it's still such a gut punch it's an incredible opening. <laughs> look i'm so excited to go to the theme park with you i'm just going to watch requiem for a dream real quick and then <laughs> and i'll be right back and then we'll go do it we'll go on like the, all the roller coasters and like eat an ice cream is gonna be really cool be totally <laughs> let me normal. just read the road yeah. <laughs> let me read the road real quick anyway the, the the last of us opening i think i think you were kind of right to bring up because I, even though i i find that to be like extremely emotionally affecting it really is like let's dial everything to 10 even though it's subdued you know it's not like a michael bay opening outside of some of the chaos of what's happening in the town as you're like running through it a lot of it is like we're just going to make you as sad as we fucking can. This game has the restraint to take a couple steps back from that and say, like, we're just setting the tone and the tone is bad. Like the tone is <laughs> yeah. going to be rough and you're going to you're just going to have to sit in how uncomfortable this is for a long time until these two start to get along. Yeah, which is really, really incredible. It's really well done. Yeah. So ba- basically that whole scene just sets up that now Kratos and Atreus are tasked with spreading the traces mother and kratos's wife's ashes phase ashes at the highest peak in all the realms so at this point they think that's a midgar oh yeah i think it's just they're just like you gotta go up a mountain they just think it's a high mountain yeah (laughs) (laughs) well that's i I like i think we were talking about with the side quest like all the objectives in this game are very clear and like yeah they're, they're right there so it's just like okay you we've cremated our dear family member uh she had one wish which was to have her ashes scattered and like, I think at the first time I played, I kind of thought like, oh, this will be the tutorial. Um, and then mm. and, and like it ends up just being like, that's that's the plot of the game. That's the like game. you're just trying yeah. to achieve this one thing and stuff keeps getting harder. And that feels very mythical. Like, I feel like so many mm. myths are just like, I need to reach. It, it, it's also very Norse because as we discussed in the Norse mythology episode, so many stories are like. He was the biggest and wisest and he could throw a spear the fastest <laughs> and he had to reach the highest point in the realm, you know. So like, of course, Faye would be like, my dying wish is that my my husband and my son can reach this point. And really what's kind of indirectly implied is she wants them to spend time together. You know, yes. she wants them to, you know, learn each other and or learn each other's ways and understand each other and and be able to show affection because they I do think like the reason I hesitated earlier to say Kratos is cruel like you can tell he loves his son like there's mm-hmm. not I never doubted that even when he was at his grumpiest and scariest but I think it comes off as a like very uh feral like father bear love of just like I need to protect my kin mm-hmm. and not like I know what my son's interested in like <laughs> you know yeah I also like how 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 small of a goal it is. Like I feel like so many yes, like yes. games and movies are basically gonna, you're going to be like, all right, we're going to save the world, or even like uh, like God of War three. It's like I'm going to kill Zeus. Um, <laughs> like that's, that's what I'm setting out to do, and I will achieve it at some point. And this one's kind of yeah. like all of the big conflicts and the world changing stuff is just because like these two characters are in a little bit over their heads. Like there's like stuff has been happening for a really long time. And they're upsetting this natural order of things. But really all they're trying to do is like give them the mom a burial. Like they're not doing anything because like Kratos wants to fuck with Odin. Yeah. Oh, right. And if anything, Kratos 
wants to hide from everyone. And that's sort of implied as you play at the beginning. I think Atreus has a line very early on where he says the woods are different. Like something has changed because mm-hmm. Atreus is very sensitive to just the realm in general. He's very quick with learning languages and, and, you know, I think he, he has that kind of sixth sense. Of course you eventually learn like what he means, but I think like even just on a simple level, Kratos is very happy just living with his family in this isolated hermit's cottage. And now he has to go outside and climb a mountain <laughs> and like just fears what could happen because not only is he trying to make sure that Atreus lives outside of, of everyone else's influence, but also that he doesn't know he's a God. So worth noting a, a, a Kratos is the God of war. Hence the title of the game. It is, I think kind of interesting, like even but, though, but only in Rome, only in Rome. Yeah. And I think it's kind of fun how like both mythologies are in the same world technically in this game, but essentially like just really briefly, the main plot of the very first God of War game is essentially Kratos is someone who is, is thirsting for revenge against Ares, the God of War and all the other gods are like, well, we can't harm other gods, but you can. So we're going to give you all these cool abilities so you can go fight and kill Ares. And then ironically Kratos becomes the god of war which honestly like just on paper is a pretty cool myth like I don't think the PS2 game like tells it in an interesting way (laughs) but I think that 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 cruel irony of becoming the person you wanted to destroy I think does set a really interesting foundation for Kratos's past and again with all these other enemies and creatures being characters in eternal conflict I think Kratos sees his only way of escaping that by burying it by trying to forget that it happened and by trying to make sure his son never learns about it because the son doesn't know anything about his past even though Kratos is carrying a tree on their way to, oh, yeah. <laughs> to the, the funeral <laughs> like he's clearly of superhuman strength but you know when when we when you get to the like jumping way ahead when you get to the reveal and Atreus is like you're a god. I'm a god. I'm like you killed dragons. Like what do you what <laughs> yeah. do you think was happening? <laughs> yeah, I I kind of read it as like I feel like Atreus kind of knew, but like just needed him to say it, sort mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like I I think that I think like between case. yeah, but um, it it is it is funny. Uh, that dragon fight is sick. That's I think my favorite fight in the game. <laughs> That's also when I laugh the most when it bursts into a million collectibles. I'm like, this is such an intense moment narratively. And it's like, you leveled up. Um, (laughs) But uh, this whole opening sequence ends with a really great moment where essentially a stranger knocks on the door. Kratos' worst nightmare. Someone else knows where he lives. Yeah. Uh, And it's this human looking guy with a bunch of tattoos. Pretty cool mullet. uh, And... You don't know who he is. And Kratos is like, I don't want to talk to you. Like, go away. And he's like, no, no, no. Like, the stranger kind of bothers him and then strikes Kratos. And that's when he says, you do not want this fight. <laughs> Which, I don't know why that makes me laugh, but it just it's such a... The acting in this game is incredible. Just worth noting as well, as with everything else about it. But essentially, like, as the scene plays out, the stranger eventually winds up and, like, just knocks Kratos, like, you know, with a superhuman punch, like, flying into the air into the backyard of the cabin and it's the first boss fight essentially and that's that's i think where the story really takes off and you learn kind of what's at stake like that's the moment where you don't know who this character is but kratos and the player knows that they've been found out like there are now there's now a party that for reasons unknown is searching for them and trying to harm them and essentially that 
that coupled with the journey to carry Faye's ashes to the highest point in the realm makes Kratos especially guarded because now he knows that there's a target on their back for some reason he, he's not aware of. I'm curious, Stephen, did you have any guesses as to who this was before the reveal? Like in this moment where you're like, I wonder if this is X person. I, I had no idea except that when I first played it, like in 2018, because I played this far at least, um, I had no idea because I wasn't super familiar with Norse mythology. It's worth knowing that as this fight ends, uh, this character, the stranger says, just so you know, like this whole fight, I couldn't feel anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says it not in a bragging way, but in like a very desperate way. Like I like even as like I thought you of all people can make me feel something, which to me always read is like he just came here to get his ass kicked to see if he could feel pain or something else. Pretty but much, yeah. Anyway. Good villain motivation. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it extremely is. Did you know who he was when he first showed up? No, no, I, I didn't either. Um, I, I also didn't know a whole lot about Norse mythology, but I was I was trying to put pieces together. And then he said, I can't feel anything. I was like, I don't know. Is that a, is that a Norse god thing? I have no idea. Um, yeah, this is like tier two of Norse god. Like I, if you know yeah. the, the main ones, like I didn't I didn't know who this was when I fought him either. Yeah, he's he's not a Marvel guy. I'll say that much. <laughs> I, I think it was a good decision to make. He He's in some ways the big bad, even though I think he has like a complicated role in the story. Mm-hmm. But I think it was good to not make this game's main antagonist like thor or odin yet you know like odin seems to be kind of the emperor like the sort of like villain behind the curtain but um the 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 active antagonist is this character yeah yeah this the story the story really takes its time in that way like it doesn't get you to, yeah. to any big like it's like in in a lot of treatments of the story that they're telling like this would be the first act of a game maybe or the first act of a story or like honestly the like a prequel like it's like you're not getting to the the big the big stuff it like withholds a lot in a way that like makes the game feel really original yeah absolutely yeah we're absolutely. like we're get we we don't even really see thor at all in this game except for like a little button at the end of a side quest after the game is over if you realize that you should go back home <laughs> you're like, like fighting thor's cousin <laughs> yeah yeah you yeah you you fight his sons for a while like you never really yeah. see him the most you see of odin is his ravens you know um I, I think I think being really subdued in that way is really wonderful. I also really I mean, before we've even gotten there and who knows, maybe they'll maybe they'll change their minds about this. I guess we'll know when the game comes out. But I actually appreciate that it's not a trilogy. I like that it's a duology. I'm glad that this is just going to be like over after the next one that we can move on to something else. I think that I, I, I really like that. It, it feels very intentionally blocked as like, here's half one where you just piss off everybody and then half two is like, well, all that's left is Odin and Thor, and that's who you wanted to see the whole time anyway. So we're just going to build the whole game around that next time. And the world's going to end. And the world's going to end. You get to see Fenris yeah. Wolf. Oh man, I'm really excited to see Fenris Wolf. Yeah, I, uh, I think what's also cool though is like, well, I think this game leads with not immediately recognizable Norse characters. If you are familiar with the mythology you'll know right away, which I think is a fun touch. Like if you are someone who like knows about yeah. Freya's golden boar, you'll know right away what you're hunting. You know, it's right. like very, very cool that they had a strong enough knowledge of the mythology to know who was going to be which character even before they're revealed. And it all works. And that's what makes this game uh, replaying at new game plus. So enjoyable is seeing all that foreshadowing. And all that intentionality. Yeah. Espe- yeah. Especially having read that book and going back and playing it a second yes. time was like 
so cool and so interesting. Like the, this game on a replay with that knowledge, not even just of like the Norse mythology book that you and I read, but even just like with the knowledge of what happens in the rest of the game is really, it's really something to behold. Um, and new game plus I should just mention is really fun. Uh, once you, once you get in there, especially if you take the time to do all the side stuff, which we'll get to later. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a good, Hey, good opening. Love the stranger, <laughs> love to hit him into a big rock. And then he breaks out of the rock and then I drop the rock on him again. <laughs> really a good time. Uh, this is maybe like the single bloodiest, like humanoid fight that happens. Yes. The yes. amount of blood that is covering the two of you by the time this fight is over is kind of unmatched. I think for the rest of the game. If I'm yeah. remembering it correctly. And that, that, that's kind of what I meant about like it's given weight in the same yeah. way like the combat in The Last of Us is given like you're not supposed to like feel good about it. Like it's supposed to feel heavy and daunting. This moment feels like that as well, even though like at, at this point you like Atreus enough that you want to like defend your house as Kratos, you know, so like I, I had that paternal instinct to be like, I don't know this guy is I'm kick his ass. But, <laughs> you know, it definitely it's definitely an uncomfortable fight for everyone involved. Cause I also think it's, it's Kratos having to unleash some of his past self as well. Like he's kind of being egged on almost to be like, come on, you're the guy from God of War. Show me what you got. Right. You know, it's a little bit like, you know, do the thing that I know you for. Cause this is when they reveal this is when you first get uh, like going Spartan mode. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Great moment. And I, I love Spartan mode so much. <laughs> it's like one of the most like cathartic things ever. Basically you hit both uh, L3 and R3 and Kratos screams and just starts punching everything. It's, it's he unbelievable. Yeah, he, it's great. He like turns yeah. into fire, but only a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> tasteful. It's a tasteful rage. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Spartan rage. It's not Spartan mode. <laughs> I like Spartan <laughs> mode though. I think they should. I think we should maybe we should hit up Sony Santa Monica about that before Ragnarok drops. We should just say yeah. it to each other. Like anytime you're about to do something, Spartan I'm about mode. to go Spartan. Yeah, mode. I'm about to go Spartan <laughs> mode on this podcast. <laughs> Behind you, brother. Yeah. I uh, um, I I think this is a great opening. I think as like the call to adventure. I mean, the way this ends is like, well, our house is kind of fucked up, and they know we're here, and also we have this mission so now is as good a time as any to start doing it let's yeah, leave I, I like that they withhold it's like a pretty unsettling boss fight in a way that you never really get where you're just like i don't know why that happened yeah no like, closure 100 yeah. sure if that guy's dead um and i definitely don't know why he wanted to fight me yeah I also love that the road forward is like the valley you inadvertently created by fighting. Yeah. <laughs> and Atreus is like, so did you kill him? And he's like, yes. You know, yeah. It's like, but yeah, you still, like you said, there's that lingering mystery, which is, which is so great. I mean, there's some, I know we probably want to move on to the next story beat, but there are a couple moments in this opening as well, where Kratos is teaching Atreus how to hunt and by extension, how to kill. And like, there's some really great moments there where essentially Atreus is initially very hesitant and, you know, he shoots a deer and it, it doesn't die right away. And then Kratos says, you know, finish what you started with the dagger, which is kind of mirrored later in the story, but in the opposite way, which I thought was mm. cool. Um, but there's a moment that struck me even the first time I played where, you know, Atreus again is being set up as like the friendly character, the relatable character, the one that doesn't want to fight and the one that wants to connect to the world in a meaningful way. But after the first like big fight against the ogre with like the big like uh, stone club. Once you finish it, Atreus like runs up to it and just starts like 
slashing it like viciously and screaming. And to me, that sets up this great dynamic of Kratos as a character who is trying to bury everything. And Atreus is a character that has no control, you know, good or bad, all emotions are coming out constantly. And then that moment kind of helps you understand Kratos being like, you know, not that you should bury it within, but you should use, you know, be in control of your anger. He says, use it as a weapon, which, you know, not the best dad advice, but you know, it's, uh, you can see where they're both coming from in that moment and what they both have to work on, which I think is a great, great scene. And, and one of the plot points that I'd completely forgotten about um, from the first time I played that comes up, I think around here is that Atreus is sick. Um, yes. But like you don't know why, what is happening. He's, he says he's got it under control, which is a weird thing for a sick child to say to anybody. Um, and it just like ends to, adds to that like destabilizing. You're like, I don't know what what's happening yet. There's a need for him to prove himself in a way that he thinks his father will respect, which is just, you know, by being violent and and strong. <laughs> but Atreus has other skills than that, you know, more important skills than that. Yeah, I, I, I think this opening is incredible. And it's even better the second time when you have now when these characters enter the shot, I hear I hear like audience applause in my head because I know them better. Uh, it's a great feeling. Yeah, I think after this, you you move on, and I, I think it's your introduction to Brock happens pretty shortly after this. Oh, like yeah. as soon as you start yeah. your quest, like you run into Brock, who is one of the two dwarven brothers, um, who famously forge a lot of the like tools and instruments you know of from Norse mythology, which is pretty fun. But he's he, blue. He's a blue guy. He's a little blue guy. <laughs> Interesting uh, deviation, I guess, from from Norse mythology as well, where the the dark elves are the dwarves in like standard Norse mythology, and in this they're just like their own cool thing. Um, but anyway, you meet Brock. He immediately recognizes your axe, and is like, "I sure did make that." He's like pissed at you for having it in the first place, uh, but eventually, you know, you work your differences out, and he he helps you out. I love I love Brock immediately because he you know the two of you you could like cut tension with a knife anytime you're like hanging out just the two of you and to have your first salve be a guy who's like how the fuck are you is like okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah this is one of the few games where i loved reading the codex it's updated throughout because it's written by atreus and the entry for brock is like we met this dwarven blacksmith who's like really rude and swears all the time but i like him anyway i hope i see him again uh yeah bro i mean it's also like i don't brenda correct me if i'm wrong but i don't recall there being any characters in the original god of war games that like were allies in any stretch like there weren't like like maybe athena but like just some cutscenes. yeah not you that know? I, not that i can recall honestly um but it's been a long time so just even having like the friendly merchant is like a huge step for Kratos, you know, yeah. <laughs> like I, I think that that that's another beat where this game is kind of separating itself in an interesting way. And also, I think this game has much more like RPG elements like the old games kind of did like you could upgrade different skills. I actually do kind of like um, in the first God of War when you pause the screen, like all your kills are just this like vial of blood. So you have to like hold X and it's like, Oh yeah. <laughs> it just slurps up and then you level up uh, very silly. But uh, in this game, it's much more like almost like destiny esque. It's like a very, like everything is like epic or legendary and it can be a little, like again, the UI could be a little bit cluttered, but I actually did really love like getting to upgrade stuff and seeing just in terms of just aesthetic value, like what I could put Kratos in and, and yeah, it's another situation, uh, you and I talked about this recently, Stephen, with Splatoon 3, but it's another situation where you could so clearly see where they could have monetized this 
past what they yeah. did. Like, thankfully, although there are different tiers of loot and stuff that you can get, it's all set. It's all like set. Like every chest, every person who plays the game, you will get the same item out of the same chest every single time. It's there's no like element of randomness. It's not like an Assassin's Creed game where you might get like a legendary bow for your dude uh just because you got lucky like early in the game and then you just hold on to it forever like that's not how this works at all there's a set progression path that's going to happen throughout the game but you can so clearly see the edges where they like very easily could have made that randomized and very easily could have made it like you know gear drops that you're going to be like grinding in the forest for just like fighting revenants <laughs> for like uh. 45 minutes you know and i'm glad it's not i'm glad it's not that but it but it has all the trappings and all the visualization of that and i think that's that's the thing yeah. that you two are bumping up against and i i haven't mentioned it, but i totally agree i think it's the weakest part of the game honestly it's just like the way the menu system works this the skill tree the the armor equipping runes into your armor uh, like stuff like that i i think just like muddies the game a bit especially and and this is the thing we talk about a lot but because so much of the game is is accomplishing what it's setting out to do at such a high level anything that doesn't like really stands out more and the fact totally. that this game spends so much time making sure that everything you're doing mechanically ties into what's happening narratively Mm-hmm. having just like a rune that increases your uh block by four percent if you can do like a charged finishing move uh if you have the right one equipped like that doesn't that doesn't mean anything you know that's not kratos isn't like oh i'm glad i got that rune you know like <laughs> yeah it, it was a lot of also <laughs> atreus is like i love you now because you equipped that rune <laughs> i'm so glad you spent 20 real dollars on this rune kratos <laughs> You're finding so much stuff that it's like the sigil of defiance. And yeah. then I'll be like, I don't know. What, I'm not going in the menu for this. Or if I am in the menu, I'm often just like, I could just leave the menu. It's confusing in here. But outside of the menu, I'm having a great time. Like, I often just yeah. felt the pull to go back to the game. I never like, I think there's some games where you will like, oh, big fight coming up. I got to like redo all my armor um, yes. or like figure out what my build's going to be. And here I was always just like, can I just, can I just keep going? Can I like, is this yeah, okay? I feel like my excitement at like going back to Brock and and uh, Etri, Brock and Etri. Oh yeah, it is Sintry in this it's game. You're right, it's Etri. It's Etri in the book. Yeah, That's yeah. why I was getting confused. Yeah, uh, going back to Brock and Sintry. Like I just love them as characters, and they have some fun quests. And I loved like the aesthetic value of new armor. But I totally agree. And that's actually you mentioned before, Brendan, that when open world games give you too many options, it's kind of overwhelming. Uh, for me, I feel that way with like skill trees. Like if there's too yeah. many options for moves because honestly the thing about this game too is that even just the mechanic of of throwing the axe and calling it back and and punching with your shields like there's so much you can do within those two tool sets that's not directly told to you like throwing an axe at an enemy's feet so they like trip and then punching right. them into the ground so they bounce and then like fight like there's almost like tony hawk tricks you can do <laughs> if you just kind of use your own intuition and i think i enjoy that way more than unlocking you know fury of the giants level three which like it's cool to have those and some of i i, I just found that I, I i stuck to the same two abilities for most of the game mm -hmm. usually when i got a new one the only ones i was really excited about were um Atreus's animal summons. I thought those were really Oh, yeah, cool. those are all really fun. And I also think that the long shot behind Kratos, it's a little weird when you pause it and his back is facing the camera. Mm -hmm. Like, I get that they, they want to continue the shot, but it just looks a little strange. <laughs> very, very small nitpick. But um, um, I, I love the introduction to the dwarves. The skill tree part of it, I had 
less of a problem with just because it's just kind of for me like sure at first i would found it kind of confusing where it's like if you press r1 three times and then do this like you'll like this will be the combo but what i found in my approach especially the second time was just buy everything and it'll, and oh, it'll yeah, make button right. mashing way more fun. Yes. And, yes. Then, and then like yes. eventually I started to be like, oh, if I, like, like how do I recreate that move that I like must have bought four hours ago? <laughs> right. But right. I'm just like kind of reproducing accidentally. And then you, that was kind of how I ended up figuring out the combat system. And, and especially the like special like combo moves that you can chain together was through like just buy everything and then trial and error your way through it. Like don't, yeah. don't be like... Ooh, if I press R1, then pause and like let my stance reset, like it probably won't go that well. But when it happens kind of serendipitously, it's it's really satisfying. That was how I went about it yeah. this time specifically. Cause the the first time I played it, I like really took my time and like wanted to learn how to do everything, especially because I was like trying to do all the post-game stuff. But this time I was like, I don't know how much time I'm gonna have to be able to finish this. I like had to go away to like weddings and stuff. I was like I was like nervous that I wasn't gonna be able to beat this game in time. Funny that I would ever think that. But uh, yeah. <laughs> but that said, I I really like did not focus at all on like upgrading my armor or uh worrying about what I was unlocking. I just did the same exact thing as you just unlock everything um and honestly i made it through the whole game doing that like i i sure did get to the end like without really even thinking that much about what i had equipped or what things i was unlocking or what runes i had where like i i like knowing that the game is flexible enough to say like if you actually don't care about that stuff at all you kind of yeah. don't need to that was the thing is you're it, like i would get kind of bored going through all these armor options and being like okay if i upgrade this breastplate will it be stronger than the one i currently have equipped yeah but you're not punished if you don't do that Yes. Um, or at least I, totally. I was not I was I feel like I had to upgrade some stuff when I was like you got I don't understand how the levels work really at all where like I'll be like I'm level four and I'm fighting level six. Yeah, I should probably spend some time with with Brock or Sindri and, and figure that figure out. Figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> and I would do that and that would and then I would be fine for another like, you know, f- probably five hours, like two big bosses or something. Um, mm-hmm. And that was kind of how I ended up just kind of, I just kind of sidestepped all of that stuff. I found that. In terms of levels, like there, I feel like I, one of the first deviations from the main quest I did was actually right after I got Mimir, which I think like, I would consider that to be like where the game, if you haven't already been doing side quests, the game is like, you now have a talking head that like is really excited about side quests in addition to your son who also wants to do side quests. But the moment you get Mimir, uh, which, you know, we can we can revisit, but essentially he's this talking head that's on your belt. And when you are on a boat exploring the world, he will retell stories of myth. Um, and what's really cool is and this is actually becoming a more popular thing in, in a lot of recent PlayStation games in particular is uh, there will be, you know, he was he's telling this story. But then when you get off the boat, they'll be like, oh, we'll pick this up later. You know, and then like it will remember where you were in the story. So when you do get back into the, I boat. thought that was such a crazy magic trick the first right? time I played this game. Where, where I, like, yeah. I think in the way that probably the quick time events probably felt in the first God yeah. of War, where I was like, oh, they they cracked out, like cracked away to tell like deep backstory. Like you're getting lore like while you're traversing the world, mm-hmm. and I just found that to be like really elegant. All the stories are really good. Having all of Norse mythology to pull from is probably yeah. A, a little bit of a superpower where you're yeah. like, yeah, well, these are pretty interesting stories. Um, just need to put it in the in the voice of this weird head. <laughs> but yeah, having having Mimir led me to one of the quests where you free the dragon. I think there are like a few dragons yes. you can free. I think there's three. Uh, 
And that quest was like at least four levels above me, but I was so determined to finish it because like I was gripped by this story of a greedy dwarf who had become a mm-hmm. dragon. And Mimir's like, I don't even really know how he's a dragon. Let's find <laughs> out. Um, and uh, I mean, it just it's having that other it really rounds out the party well because they almost kind of foreshadow it because early on when it's just Kratos and Atreus in the boat. Uh, Atreus would be like, Dad, tell me a story to pass the time. And, and Kratos' stories are like, there was a boy who didn't do his homework and he was punished. <laughs> you know, like they're just not, they're not good. And then when you get Mimir, it's like, oh, yes. Like, and a lot of them are about Odin and how cruel Odin is. So I think like while you don't really see Odin at all, you get a lot about how this world is shaped by Odin yeah. and and a lot of the the tensions between gods and even Mimir's like past. Because I feel like Mimir... Not to the level of Kratos, but Mir has sins in his past as well. Like he he was once like an accomplice to He he regrets it less than Kratos. Um he's yeah. kind of just like, wow, that's how it all shakes out, you know? <laughs> sometimes you're up, sometimes <laughs> yeah. you're down. Sometimes you're a person, sometimes you're ahead. <laughs> um but a uh, question for you two, since you've you've just read the Norse mythology mm. book. Is Mamir a character in yeah, uh, yeah remarkably similar? Okay. Cause that, I was like, that's such a clever little way to deliver story is like just be like okay one of your one of your narrators is going to be a person who is next to everybody yeah like you, you never yeah, so, see odin but like by the end of the game i think i have a, a beat on what that dude is like <laughs> so essentially like briefly to recount it there's this well of wisdom in norse mythology that odin sought to gain but he had to give up one of his eyes for it classic i think a lot of people know like you know that he gave up his eye and in some ways his soul for infinite wisdom. Um, but Mimir actually like oversees the well and knows all things and eventually became a consult of like kings and gods and other people. But <laughs> they just all got so annoyed with him that they cut off his head basically. Um, and Odin was like, we need his knowledge still. So I'm going to preserve yeah. it. He, th- he throws Mimir's head into the well of immortality. Uh, so essentially he'll just like continue living floating in this well. Uh, even okay, though it's just so, a head. So, so even in mythology, Mim- the disembodied head of Mimir is like Mimir's a piece in, of Mim- it. Yeah. Mimir's in head yeah. mode. That's the thing that's in, and this, we talk about this on, on the other episode, but like this game has a, has a pretty remarkable, uh, it's like almost one-to-one with a lot of the mythological stories. And obviously myth is all about having your own spin on it. Like it's supposed to be kind of slightly altered every time. Like they're supposed to be performed and told. And I think where this game deviates the most is with the portrayals of Loki and Balder, which we'll get to mm-hmm. later, I imagine. But um, generally speaking, I, I think what's fascinating about this game's take on Norse mythology uh, is just that it is so accurate. And because yeah. of the like pop culture zeitgeist of Norse mythology, I think it feels like a fresh take, even though it's literally the oldest take there is. You know, like <laughs> Odin being such a horrible guy where like actually there is no good story about a good thing Odin did. That's like pretty accurate to how Odin's always been portrayed in Norse myth. Uh, it just yeah, feels think- fresh now because uh, it's not Anthony Hopkins this time. That's what I was going to say. I think they're hel- like this game has helped out so much by the Marvel take on where you're like oh yeah i know all these guys and then like the stories are like they're really bad yeah yeah like like it's a like dawning realization how much they've fucked up the world that you're in yeah 
I think this world looks it's a, it's a really interesting take on like what is essentially another post-apocalypse game. Like at, yeah. the, at the end of the day, the Midgard that you are exploring here is a Midgard that doesn't seem to have any human life left. anymore. No, it's it's beautiful to look at, but awful. Like, it's yeah. an awful world. Just like nothing good is happening there. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a piece of it's an aspect of the game and the world design that I think like you could play the whole game and not really even connect with is like, oh, it's strange that there's no people here. There's just like gods and ghosts and stuff. But at the at the end of the day, like the God, the Norse pantheon has forsaken Midgar and it like just is so wrapped up in their own shit. They don't care at all what happened to them. And what happened to them was they all fucking died. And now they're all zombies. And yeah. And it's. It's not a coincidence that the only friendly god you meet, Freya, is also hiding in a cottage away from everything. <laughs> it's not a coincidence that she also right. has like chosen to isolate herself completely, which I thought was fun. Although she lives under a giant turtle, yeah, so that, a little <laughs> bit cooler than the than the cottage in the woods. Because Freya is who you meet after Bro- you meet Brock on the road. Mm-hmm. You're still like teaching Atreus how to hunt, and then he shoots a golden boar. Even then, I was like, we probably shouldn't be shooting at this guy. He's like a big deal. And then Freya comes running out and is like, you shot my boar. You got it. Now you you got to shot my friend. friend. Yeah. You shot my My friend. friend. Yeah. And you got to help me fix, fix him. Yeah. The whole time I was like, yeah, sure. Let's, let's, let's do it. I didn't, I wasn't crazy about killing the boar in the first place. It's the closest this game gets to death stranding where you have to use the left and right triggers to, uh, balance you to use Kratos's left and right arms. But in this case, you're not holding the backpack of your USPS parcels, but you're holding the (laughs) entrails of the golden boar in each hand, which, uh, it's it's pretty gnarly. Yeah. Yeah. This is also when the world goes full fantasy. Yes. Like this is when it's like it becomes beautiful because yeah. the beginning is beautiful, but it's like, you know, sad Resident Evil 4 woods, whereas mm-hmm. now we're like in like giant turtle, you know, magic card art levels. And I stuff think going I think this here. this scene in particular is where I got sold the first time, like really on the game. Yeah. I think I liked the opening a lot, but I was kind of like, you know, still figuring out what was what. Yeah. And then that like you're you're carrying this giant boar, so Kratos has to walk really slowly. And then you get into this open clearing and there's a house with a turtle above it. And yeah. I was just like, I'm in a different game than I than I thought I was. I yeah. think I, I yeah. kind of anticipated something like definitely less trippy than this. Um where it becomes <laughs> like it's all neon colors and this like great lush green. It just suddenly like the the game like turns a little bit on a dime to become just something like prettier and weirder than I had anticipated God of War getting. Yeah, I, I also just appreciate this idea of reframing the spectacle that we know and love from God of War. Like, the, you know, everything is so fucking big. In, in the first three God of War games, anytime they're leaning into spectacle, it's so you can, like, kill a giant creature. Uh, mm-hmm. I appreciate that they're able to pull the same magic trick, but it's like, oh, no, here's a big turtle that I immediately fell in love with. Yeah, and you have to, like, save a boar's life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that's not in the other God of War games. <laughs> I really like the relationship. It's in the, the PSP spinoff, Ghost of Sparta. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, relationship between Kratos, she's originally referred to as the Witch of the Wilds and then is later revealed to be Freya, yeah. which, like, causes a big rift because Kratos does not like other gods. Yeah, uh, I feel like every like every character in this, like, first you know, 10 hours or so gets revealed later, like what their actual deal is. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, totally. First, first glance, you're always like a little bit off, off balance. Yeah. Um, but I just, I think like meeting a character who you eventually learn is going through something very similar where like, I feel like, uh, Freya and 
it's eventually revealed that she's the mother of Balder, who is the stranger that showed up at your house and is the main antagonist of the game. Balder and Freya are almost a warning to Atreus and Kratos. So like, if you don't mend your relationship now, this is what you'll grow into. Like, mm-hmm. Your son will resent you and you'll really just be left alone and just sort of forever wishing you can reunite in some capacity. Yeah. And the way that story plays out is beautiful. Yeah, I think sad, we can but, yeah. probably, like, I mean, so Baldur's invincible. Like, that's his that's his deal. And, like, over the course of the game, not, like, when you meet Freya, but but much, much later, you realize, like, he's invincible because Freya made him invincible. Yeah. And, like, that level of, like, protectiveness is what made him a villain, essentially. Like, he was... Yes. I, you have no idea what he was like before. He, I, I, I'm sure if you've read the... Like, if you know more about Norse mythology than I do, like, you might have an idea. But in the game, like, he doesn't exist before. He's just, he was a god. And now he's, like... A super god who hates himself, um, and that's like a very new combination um, for for any character, but definitely for a villain. Yeah, it's another extreme, right? Because we have Kratos who's burying everything, his past and his emotions. We have Atreus who is letting it all out in all forms, and now we have a character who actually can't feel anything. Uh, I think that's a really brilliant like lens and a warning to these two characters because essentially the only way Kratos and Atreus can grow is by facing their burdens head on. So for Atreus that is being armed with the truth that yes, he is a God and he needs to wield that power responsibly. And for Kratos, it's taking full ownership of his past, but recognizing like you don't have to be that guy anymore. Like you are in control. Mm -hmm. You know, you can, you can mourn, the soul that you lost, but you are a God Like you are privileged with enough time that you can create a new era for yourself. Mm-hmm. And I, I, this is jumping ahead, but you know, I think, I think some beats of the story just call to others. So I'm, I'm sorry if I'm no, throwing I think, I think, of order, it's, I think it's totally fine to jump around. One of the moments that really stands out to me is essentially like at a certain point, Balder shows up again and manages to take Atreus from Kratos yeah. and they both get sent to hell or Helheim. And Kratos has to go back to Freya for help. And she tells him, like, you can go there. You can go to hell, but do not cross this bridge. Like, If you cross this bridge, you will be a lost soul. And also your axe won't work. So I don't know if you have I don't know if you have any other weapons, Kratos, but <laughs> can't use the axe. This moment is is uh, as our friends uh, Dom and Adam would say, I definitely think this is the eye of the duck of the game where Kratos goes back to the cabin and basically in his like secret bunker, he has the chaos blades, which are the weapons he used in the original trilogy. And you see him kind of slowly and painfully unpackage these weapons as this ghostly silhouette of Athena is behind him. And like, I feel like if you are a longtime fan of the series and that's I think the brilliant thing about this game is as, as, as much as it's a new thing and as much as it's like kind of in spite of the original trilogy I think if you were a big fan of those original games, you probably also love this one. And I feel like this moment is such huge payoff if you followed this character for this long. Like seeing Athena there, seeing Kratos like slowly wrap the chains of the weapon back on and Athena saying like, you will always be a monster. And Kratos admitting, I know, but I'm not your monster anymore. Like it's such a great moment. It's it's like truly it is a little bit of like, dropping my Mountain Dew to stand up and applause. But like it it's so powerful. And I think it also is like such a flex of the game that you think the whole game is going to be the Leviathan X. And yet 
they bring back the original weapon and it's just as fun. It's so cool. Like you can do the scorpion get over here, like pull to throw enemies towards you. And it's a totally different style of play that somehow still works. And being armed with that acceptance of like owning your past, but knowing that redemption is possible, using that literally weaponized as a tool to save your son from the point of no return is just an incredible sequence of the game. I I, I was blown away by it. Yeah, it's the best. Um, it's, just, it's like the best thing. <laughs> it's like it's I I think probably around the halfway point like yeah. of of the story. Yeah, this is yes, he's like totally. And, and at no point up until this point had I ever wondered. Ah, I'm getting bored of the Leviathan axe. Um, I was just like, this, <laughs> yeah, is, right. this is the game I'm playing. You know, I got yeah. an ice axe because I'm up, I'm up, up in you know. Scandinavia, I guess that's what, what we fight with. And then the game like expanding in such a radical way is like a structural twist to the whole thing where it's like, yeah. you thought you were close to the end of this skill tree and it turns out there's a bunch more. There's a second skill tree, yeah. <laughs> and then on top of that, you know, like I think it pays off like really well emotionally. It's such a like a good storytelling decision, such a good like gameplay decision to like deepen the game in that way. But like we, I keep coming back to it's so much fun to use those chaos blades. Yeah. Like as soon as you're yeah. you're there, you you leave your cabin, and then they're like, "We're gonna throw so many of like the low level enemies that you've been fighting for, <laughs> yeah. this who are, ma- who are made of ice specifically, and you are just going to tear through them for like seven minutes, and like that's all that's gonna happen. You're not gonna like there's you haven't unlocked any skills. All you can do is like three moves, and yeah. it feels incredible because it's so different than the Leviathan Axe. Like it, Leviathan Axe is like totally one enemy at a time. You can throw it, which is really cool. Um, but it's a lot of like, can I get enough space to do one of my big like hold the axe and then hit them moves? Yeah, right. Um, and the Chaos Blades are just like tap everything, keep it moving. Like just like go through huge waves of enemies. Um, it's like a completely different way of playing. And this is what you said earlier. I think it might have been off the recording, but you're like, the weapons are spoilers because like, you know, one, the reveal (laughs) that, you know, Kratos's old original trilogy weapons are in the game is a big spoiler, but it also represents the three sides of him. You know, the Leviathan Axe is his role as a father and a husband. The Chaos Blades are his role as the God of War. And then he has the shield where his like brief mortal life as a Spartan. And it's like, what a great decision to have all those play styles, like literally be parts of his soul. Like, that is such a brilliant choice. I, I was so, I'm still just so impressed by the confidence that that would take. Yeah. Where you're like, yeah. we, ha- we built a whole like fighting system that's different than the one you're going to start with. The one that like will make anybody who's played the other games nostalgic of the two weapons. Like I have more fun with the chaos blades on like a, on a just like minute to minute basis. And they were like, yeah, we're going to hold that back for a really, really long time um, <laughs> is something that I could imagine. Like whenever you're making something creative, I feel like there's a, a moment where you're like, is this bad? The thing I'm making. Yeah. And I feel like the decision to do that, like we're going to hold this for for well past <laughs> 10 hours of a video game mm-hmm. is like to me where if I was making this game, I would have been like, we're, this is bad, right? This is a really weird decision <laughs> that we're doing. Um, and I'm so glad like they had the the vision and, and the confidence to like kind of stick that one out because it is one of the like, I don't know if this is one of my like favorite games of all time, but that is probably one of like the like moments I most remember where I'm like oh my god they're doing it like he's pulling out new weapons like yeah this is crazy 
And this is a moment too, where again, it revels being a video game and it revels being God of war. Right. You know, it's like, as again, as, as much as, as it's a fresh take on the series, like, it knows what it does well. And and this is the best that weapon has ever felt. Oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Just to play. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, 10 was, out of 10. That was Chaos Blades Corner. Um, now that we've... <laughs> yeah. So going back to hell, I mean, it, it, hell hell is always an interesting place to go. Um, but it's it's just like the some of the beats in hell are interesting because at that point, it's just Kratos and Mimir. And you learn that the souls that go to Helheim are people that die dishonorably, which essentially means like if you die of natural causes or of old age. Yeah, like, the, the rules are very strict. <laughs> yeah, which to me really sets up Ragnarok because like hearing that both Kratos and eventually Atreus, who learns that later, are like, that's kind of messed up that Odin has such a chokehold over this world that he can also decide who gets to party in Asgard when they die and who has to go to like this dreary purgatory. And this also kind of goes hand in hand with this game over time, establishing what traditionally in the Norse myth, there aren't really good guys and bad guys, but in general, it feels like when you read the myths, they want you to root for the Aesir and you're rooting against the frost giants and Loki and the various creatures and inhabitants of hell. Whereas this game is painting all the giants and the residents of Helheim and eventually Loki in a much more sympathetic and rootable light. Yeah. They're victims. They're like literally victims of Odin's rule. And it, exactly. it's so interesting to think that too, because I, I, you and I talk a lot about this in the Patreon episode, but the original myths, generally speaking, like these characters like Thor and Odin are representations of like the folly of man. You know, a lot of them are yeah. essentially cautionary tales of like, hey, don't be uh, so consumed by your hubris that you don't think you can get any better. Hey, you're not the strongest person in your village and thinking that you are might lead you to your own death. You know, like. At the end of the day, all those stories just boil down to like, don't fuck up. But I really appreciate that this game takes a step back from all of that and says like, well, if we take all these stories at face value and all of these people are real and you have to interact with them, you also have to acknowledge that the things that they do, like to the giants and Jotunheim, for example, is like literally genocidal. You know, like there, there's a story yeah. that you and I talk about in, in Norse mythology where Thor goes and essentially steals something from uh from one of the giants and on the way out like a hundred giants are chasing him out of Jotunheim and Thor gets this big smile on his face and jumps off of the rams that they're riding on to escape back to Asgard because he's so excited to literally just slaughter a hundred giants on his way out so he can go talk about it like with all of his friends when he gets back home like that is the version of Thor that is in this game. When you hear Mimir talk about Thor and you hear Mimir talk about Odin, it is that horrible version of those people. And I I kind of appreciate that. I mean, as as we say a lot, and as you've already said on this episode, Stephen, but like those myths are meant to be retold and to be, you know, uh, expounded upon over time. Like they're, they're not supposed to stay as stagnant things that you pass down forever, uh, completely untouched. You're supposed to, as society changes, revisit those things and see where you net out. Um, And we're just kind of like in an era where we're looking back at those kinds of stories and saying, hey, that's really fucked up. And honestly, it just kind of leads to the catharsis of what is probably going to happen in Ragnarok, which 
I, I feel like could go one of two ways. Like Kratos's influence in that could lead to him killing Odin the same way he killed Zeus. But simultaneously, we've heard so much about Odin already. And we know he's such a piece of shit and is mm-hmm. so obsessed with his own wisdom and his own hubris about his own wisdom that he's probably going to be his own demise in that game as well. Like I imagine we're going to have the catharsis of killing Odin removed from our hands at some point because he's just going to do it to himself. He's going to get eaten by the big fucking wolf like he's supposed to. Yeah, I mean, there's also yeah, exactly. one, one reading of the, this game where you're like going all these realms and like noticing failures of infrastructure because the rulers don't aren't paying attention. Yes. Like Helheim is not working like the like even <laughs> if you're like, OK, you only get to go to Valhalla if you die heroically in battle. So like 12 people a year go <laughs> and everyone else who dies, you got to go to hell. They're not getting to hell like the bridge isn't working like no one's like paying attention to anything. They got mm-hmm. this whole scary part where Zeus is. There's the huge raven. Here, yeah. You look at the big the big bird. <laughs> yes. I love like whatever Odin is focused on has led to the demise of like every one of the realms that you visit. And like, yeah, you, you kind of you you have the, such a simple mission, but you keep fixing these little places a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, like, yeah, like hell starts to still still not a great system, but like <laughs> they get to, like it starts to work again by the time you've found Atreus and left hell. Right. That's a great point because, I mean, all of God of War 3 is Kratos killing every god and you can see how it messes up the world. Like, I remember the beginning with the big fight against Poseidon and then you see, like, the tides are Mm -hmm. out of control and, you know. But I never made that connection that, like, in this game you are fixing all the realms and they all are subtly broken. Like, it seems obvious in retrospect, but Midgard has no humans in it. But as you explore, you help mend the relationship between brock and sindri as brothers and you also can help all these spirits like find peace in the afterlife like there are so many creatures and spirits that are unable to move on because like you're freeing these dragons they're hung up on something exactly and even um muspelheim which is more of like an arcadey like can you fight this many enemies in two minutes is like not as fiery as it should be and will light when Ragnarok begins. There's all like every realm is kind of out of order. That's a, that's a great observation. I, I also think that um, a- another big part of the story is just how inevitable is tragedy amongst the gods. You know, mm-hmm. as you explore, one thing you can find is, you know, Mimir is telling you these myths and you're also finding all of these murals that tell various stories. And what I like is that time in Norse mythology works kind of cyclically. So Mimir is often like this already happened, but also will happen. So it's like, it's kind of both, um, which that has a really fun moment at the very end with your own adventure. But I think as the player learns all of these stories, And as Kratos and Atreus hear all these stories, eventually Atreus is like, is this all I think he literally says at one point, is this all it means to be a god is to like have sons kill fathers and brothers fight brothers? Like, is it does it always have to be this way? And I think what starts off as a quest to find peace in mourning becomes a quest in ending cycles and and being like, we can be better, but we have to stop this pattern and honestly Ragnarok being the next story makes so much sense because that is a battle to end all things but it's also the beginning of something new so I I'm really really curious to see like as much as this game works as a standalone piece and like you said Brendan if the off chance Ragnarok is a bit of a miss like 
this is still incredibly worth your time. I do think that like there's a part of the story that is a little incomplete without like that. Like what is the take on Ragnarok? Yeah. You know, what is the take on the new cycle? Because I, I find this story to be so focused on Kratos and Atreus as people, you know, like it, it's really it's really like their internal struggle. I think in terms of just like accepting themselves and figuring out who they are, like in Atreus's case, very literally like, Hey, I'm a God now, but that doesn't really mean anything until they act on it. And I think that's, that's what I feel like this game is setting up for Ragnarok. Whereas, you know, where Ragnarok is literally in, in the myth, you know, the, this ending of the cycle and the beginning of a new one, um, there are different interpretations of, of what Ragnarok means. And in some cases, it's literally like the end of a way of life and the beginning of a new way of life. It's not it's not a literal cycle where like everything just starts again from the beginning, but it can be an actual fresh start. It can be an actual like, you know, a, a new set of rules and a new set of structures by which like maybe hell works this time, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's worse. But I, I think what makes a lot of sense for me narratively in terms of the way these characters have been written is that we had an entire game of them accepting themselves and now a game of them figuring out what to do with that information, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. figuring out how to use this newfound identity for the betterment of like all the realms and maybe even beyond the realms as we get into other pantheons eventually in time. I was thinking a lot about Rag- Ragnarok, like the game, not not the event in Norse mythology, uh, as I was playing this, like partially mm. because we're playing it so close to the release. But like, yeah, an interesting thing is like pretty much right at the beginning, Mimir's a little bit like, oh, yeah, Ragnarok, when the world's going to end. That's happening pretty soon, I think, like based on my <laughs> calculations. He's like the world serpent. He fought Thor already, got punched back in time. So he yeah. hates Thor, but he's here now. <laughs> and like when he first brings it up, I think reflexively, I was a little bit like, ooh, end of the world, bad. Um, we should probably stop that. And by the end of the game, I'm like, bring on Ragnarok. Let's do it. Yeah. Clear the board. Start on over. They've, this one's not working. Yeah, they, this one clearly is busted. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can't get worse. Can only can only be up from here. The fire giants seem the fire giant seems to have a point. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's let him at it. I think what's really interesting is like and again, not to get too into the myths, but in in the very distinct and purposeful areas where this game has a drastically different take on certain characters, one of the most interesting ones is Tyr, who yeah. is similar to how he's portrayed in the, in the myth. Like if you read, you know, Game of mythology at least, like Tyr is one of the very few Aesir who has some moral compass. Like he's often painted as a little bit more understanding, and he also is a descendant of giants, so he's from that world as well, which I think kind of aids that perspective. But in the game God of War, Tyr is often just talked about in a very glowing light. He's like the only God that seems to have been worshipped positively and was beloved and in some ways is a platonic ideal of what Kratos could be because Tyr is also the God of War. But in this case, he's more of a protector of, of the weak and not, you know, Aries. So I think that Tyr's involvement, whether he remains sort of a symbol and a goal for Kratos or whether he actually becomes like a cast member in in the next game, I'm really curious to see how that plays out. And I think, you know, this is at, at the very end of the game, but I think we're kind of entering this discussion. But one of the final reveals is that Atreus was named Loki by his mother, who was Fey, but Laufey, uh, Loki's son of Laufey. Again, if you know Norse mythology going in, you'll know right away that he's Loki, which is a fun decision. Yeah. But 
Um, I think in addition to Kratos's split of, you know, Spartan God of War and lovable dad, Atreus has his name Atreus and his name Loki. And you see both sides of that in the game. Even before you know he's Loki, you see when Kratos finally is vulnerable and tells his son everything, who he was, that they're both gods. Loki, Loki's initial reaction is, I'm a god? That's cool. Mm-hmm. Like, people should be nicer to me. Like, I deserve, like, his initial reaction is scary. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> he becomes such in a that little- moment... Little shithead. <laughs> he becomes a little shithead, and then, and then all of Kratos's past actions make way more sense. Like you right. realize, like why this guy had a cabin in the woods, and why he <laughs> said you do not want this fight to the stranger at the door, and and seeing some promotional material for Ragnarok, and and seeing like teenage Atreus still kind of grappling with those issues now that like Ragnarok may be coming. He's like, well, maybe this is what mom wanted from us. And and another big reveal at the very end, when you finally get to Jotunheim, which is such a breathtaking moment, you see a mural of Kratos and Atreus' journey. Like Everything was foretold by the giants. As much as it seemed like you were breaking out on your own, this was also something that had been destined to happen, right. which didn't take away from the journey for me, but it actually in some ways kind of prove that like these two have a very important role for the future and you know they still don't fully know what that means yet but i think like going back to this game's take on Norse mythology over the traditional myths like loki being a son not being father of hell and of the fenris wolf and the world serpent but like sort of a, a newcomer to the lands and someone who is torn between their humanity and their godhood I think that's going to make a really compelling story for the next game and also makes replaying this game, going back to time being like it happened, it will happen. It makes replaying this game much richer, like knowing all of that context beforehand. Just a small point on the Loki reveal. I, I, yeah. I love that they were kind of like, he's like, the, like uh, they, they get to the realm of the giants. It takes, it takes a very long time, but um, that's kind of where the game is wrapping up and Atreus can read all of the, the giant's writing and he's like yeah my, I might, I'm in here but my name is Loki not Atreus and Kratos is kind of like oh yeah your mom suggested that as the name I didn't like yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> Atreus sounded better <laughs> yeah absolutely and then he also explains like who Atreus was who was like yeah. one of the Spartans in his group that had a soul and was like fun to be around and was kind and, and yeah. empathetic like a good so dude. that also to me like Knowing that that's the name he gave his son, I feel like also adds this lens that Kratos, as much as he is strict with his son early on and and doesn't want to do side quests and doesn't want to connect with the world, I also think he really admires his son for those gifts. Mm -hmm. I think he admires his son's humanity and, and really wants him to embrace his humanity over his godhood because I think that's something Kratos is convinced he has lost until the very end. Yeah. Yeah, because we see him, I mean, when when he's being a little shit, he's really just being a little Loki. Like, he's Loki of the Norse myth the way that we've read about. Like, he, uh, what he turns into immediately is a Loki who is, like, self-entitled and and, uh, feels just, like, fucking with people, uh, which is how we know him. One of the things I wanted to note also just about about Loki in, in particular is, again, the interesting take on Norse myth that this game has, right? Where although it's kind of so close to the original in a lot of cases, um, the biggest missing link here is that Loki's just not in it, right? Like 
how do all these myths play out when Loki is absent is actually a really interesting swerve, I think, overall. Um, and what I appreciate about this game's answer to that question is like, you know, Loki is the driving force in a lot of those myths because he is the one who is causing mischief. And a lot of these gods think to themselves like, ah, oh, Loki, he just causes trouble and he and he makes all these horrible things happen over and over and over again, uh, which obviously all leads up to Ragnarok happening eventually. Like at the end of all of that, Loki pushes himself too far, pushes the gods too far, the gods push back and essentially they're at odds. And then he takes the armies of hell and walks them into Asgard and then they fight and Ragnarok happens. What I love about this game's take on all of this Norse myth is that even with Loki absent, even though the person that they blame for all of their troubles is gone, they've still managed to fuck the world. They've still mm-hmm. managed to yeah. to completely screw it up. And Odin, again, in his own hubris and in his own idealized version of his own rule, saying, like, I can lord over this place, I know Ragnarok is coming, and I'm going to avoid it, is inadvertently causing it by chasing down Kratos and Loki. Mm-hmm. Like... As usual, Odin has ruined his own chances at surviving Ragnarok by inadvertently causing it himself. And you don't need Loki to be there for that to happen. At the end of the day, Ragnarok was always going to happen because Odin is the one who causes it, not Loki. I think that's sick. When Atreus makes his turn to to annoying villainy for for a period of time, like Mm. it it (laughs) also um, it a little bit explains why the gods are so shitty. Like, it's a little bit like, yeah. oh, yeah, if you were immortal and had a bunch of powers, you probably wouldn't take normal people very seriously. You'd probably be like, nah, I think it's like a, an easy way to become self-centered very quickly, um, where if you're doing it with Atreus as he comes to the realization. Mm-hmm. I still found, I think, like, it's still a, an irritating stretch of the game because mechanically it makes it irritating. Where, like, we mentioned before, like, Atreus suddenly, like, argues with you all the time where you're like pressing square in a fight and he's like i don't wanna he doesn't do it yeah yeah <laughs> he, go, he goes whatever he's like i'm not helping yeah. you with these arrows yeah. anymore we're done with that when you're like can you go get that chain he's like ah, fine yeah you don't have the badge from I saffron like, city and he yet. wants to and he also wants to <laughs> wants to kill everybody yeah i do like the reveal that what was causing his sickness was not knowing his godhood like having yeah. that side of him unknown really was causing idea. him to be sick yeah, in the finale of this game, you fight Balder again, but Freya is there and she's essentially begging you not to kill her son and also is in- inhabiting, like, she's controlling the body of a dead giant with magic, which was so interesting. You have this sort of, like, dead face watching the battle, Yeah, um, which made it really haunting. And at that point, like, I didn't really have, like, a, a pent-up hatred for Balder. I just sort of wanted him to stop messing with us so like you know i think uh as you're fighting freya is basically begging you to stop and at this point you found out uh the one thing that can break his spell of protection is mistletoe so and that's actually i think at one point atreus has been gifted mistletoe arrows just like by chance and freya throws them in the fire like those are cursed Mm -hmm, you know don't touch those but you just sort of stumble upon it i think by when you're sailing inside the world serpent which is so cool and so gross um just by chance mistletoe reaches him and breaks the spell so you can now harm him it, it was and during um, the fight he, it was a, mm. like early early when you first get the arrows they use one of the arrows to like fix something on atreus's armor mm-hmm. and then balder punches oh. him in the last 
yes. uh, fight like about halfway through. Oh, that's and then right. He's like, yeah. Squiver oh, I can feel stuff again. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and then, wow. and then you try to get more into it, but it's, it's like, they, I thought it was quite, I think it's because I played it twice that I could notice some of the like yeah. <laughs> nice little pot mechanics where they're oh, like totally. seeding stuff really, really quite early. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's also, I mean, that, that placement of the mistletoe and his belt is one of the first moments where Kratos is like nurturing his son in any way. Like, like, you know, we don't. <laughs> Yeah, he's like, well, we tolerate pain, not broken equipment. And, <laughs> yeah. <you> know, <laughs> stitches yeah. it together, which is a great dad line. But um, in the fight against Boulder, you know, Freya is begging you to stop. And Boulder's just like pumped that he can feel pain again. He's just having the time of his life. He's like, yes, it hurts so much. I love it. Um, and But just has this unhinged desire to kill his mother for for what she inadvertently put him through. Mm-hmm. You know, a life of of feeling nothing. So as as the battle reaches its climax... Kratos listens to Freya and essentially lets go of Baldur and is like, just leave us alone. Like, we want no part of you. Never return. And then he goes to kill Freya and she's kind of fully accepting her fate. And you just sort of like watch as Baldur slowly chokes Freya. <laughs> and I was like, man, this is really grim. It's like taking a very long time. It's really uncomfortable. And then Kratos enters the scene and goes like, the cycle must be broken. We can do better. <laughs> just cracks Baldur's neck. It's pretty, it's pretty and, gnarly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't think I've ever like yelled. I don't even know what emotion I yelled out as that happened, but like, it's such a visceral and shocking moment. And you also kind of see the relief in Baldur's eyes as he dies and says, snow, and then the light leaves his eyes. And like, it's this moment of heroism in some ways on Kratos's end because he saved Freya's life for one. And in some ways he is breaking the cycle. He's seeing this pattern of, of children killing their parents and is stepping in and being like, I will accept my role as the force that stops this. Even if it's not what you want, I'm going to end this pattern here and now. <laughs> And me and my son will will do better and set a new standard for the gods. It's it's interesting because he's breaking a, he's definitely breaking a cycle like that cycle of of yeah. god children killing god parents. But he's not breaking his own. Like right. he's still exactly. the like executioner. It's like it it's it's kind of he still knows how to do one thing. Yeah, Compare, comparing to like the only other game I'd played was God of War three, where it's like I all all I remember is you punch Zeus for a very long time until he mm-hmm. dies. And it's like, it's the game is very much just like, you're beating the shit out of Zeus. Isn't that cool? Yeah. And then this ending where like, you, it's like violent, but really quick and mm-hmm. like pretty sad. And you're just like, I wish he didn't have to do that. And you weren't even sure if he was going to. Yeah, maybe heroism is a strong word. I think, I think, you know, a, a constant beat as well is like Zeus was Kratos' father, worth mentioning, and he killed his own father, which is something that is like one of the main things that haunts him. And I think in some ways he's seeing himself in Baldur in this moment and and just killing that part of his mind. Like, you know, and it's a complicated thing because the immediate reaction from Freya is horror and her saying, like, I will rain every terror down upon you. Yeah. And you understand her side, too, because her son just got killed. Like she and even Kratos admits on the boat ride back, awkward boat ride, uh, that Atreus is like, if I killed you, like, would you let me? And he goes, like, if it would allow you to live. Yes. Like, that's just you won't understand unless you're a parent. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think that that's the one big question mark in this game is like, will Freya 
forgive Kratos for what he did. And I don't, I don't really think she needs to. Like, honestly, like, I think the story is not saying, like, she needs to get over it or anything. Like, I think she's right in hating Kratos forever. I'm just really curious how that's going to play out in Ragnarok. So I can't help but imagine Freya is going to be the wild card in that whole battle. You know, because I don't I'm think sure, yeah. Kratos or Atreus want to fight Freya at all. But she, at least based on the trailer, definitely wants to fight Kratos. So, yeah, it's it's a really... It's a very sad moment, but it's also like it's a mix of emotions. It's it's kind of it's it like you said, Brendan, it's an end of one cycle and the beginning of another and also is sort of a flat line for Kratos as like, what are your talents? I kill things. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. what does that mean? What are, what are you actually killing here? Is it just rage against the world or is it uh, are you putting an end to a specific pattern in society or a specific structure of society yeah that that ending made me wonder a little bit like some like just like the themes of just breaking cycles becoming a better person with kratos in particular in that ending i was a little bit like is it too late for him like it might be not for atreus but like he may be too he's already done a lot of stuff and then like we talked about the the prophecies in jodenheim was one of them on the walls of him dying yeah. Um, right. And you're like, I, I, like the ending to me was um, really well done where like the, the goal is achieved. But um, and, and we've talked a lot about how much it's setting up for for another story. But with him, I'm like, at the end of the day, he killed a lot to get this done. And like, that's part of what he's trying to escape. And I don't I don't, I don't think he did. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think a big another big theme, obviously, is redemption. And I think in that moment we talked about with with him putting the chaos blades back on. I think that is like, he is not asking for forgiveness, but he's like making peace with like, that's who he was. And in a way that's who he is. And I think you're right to say like, it might be too late, but I think, you know, he has much more faith in his son now. And I imagine we'll see more of that in the next game. Cause you know, I think teenage Atreus slash Loki will probably have some more dilemmas going on in that story. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, especially running into uh, who are supposed to be his children uh, via Norse myth. Yeah. I I think my, my big takeaway from this ending the second time, uh, much more than the first time, the first time I remember finishing it and thinking like, wow, what an, especially the the Balder thing in particular, like the, the killing of Balder and and Freya's anger and all this stuff. I just, I remember seeing all that happen and being like, it needed to happen that way. We're good. We're wrapping up up the story and then you go and you do Jotunheim and you're like wow what a what a wonderful conclusive ending they don't need to do anything else I know that <laughs> Ragnarok is probably coming but like I feel pretty good about this story and I'm excited to see what the next story is playing it this time was really interesting to me because I walked away from it thinking like the story is actually very far from over like I yeah as I was mentioning before you know I I think there's this game setting up them accepting themselves as people and the next one is like what do you do with that information once you've accepted yourself like how are you a force for good but even still Brendan I think you bring up a great point like he's not breaking his own cycle in this game and therefore there needs to be another step beyond that so I was a little bit worried honestly the first time I saw the trailer for Ragnarok or the most recent trailer for Ragnarok specifically where there's still people yelling at Kratos, like, you're a monster, all you could do is kill. Like, I I was just like, I don't know if I need that again as another video game. I feel like I had a whole game of that. Yeah. But I do feel like that book isn't closed in retrospect. In the same way, you know, you could play through The Last of Us and think, like, there doesn't need to be a sequel. And then you play the second one, you're like, oh my god, there was so much rich thematic stuff to mine out of that first game that went unresolved, and, and here we are 
you know, resolving it by the end of that game that I, I think was really beautiful. I feel very similarly about this game. I feel very similarly that yeah. there is actually, although the story itself and, and a lot of what's going on character wise has kind of wrapped itself up thematically, there needs to be another step after this. Yeah, I think I think both games there end with a very big decision that's made. Yeah. And it's not like really, you know, I think you could and then and then it's like, okay, you leave that experience talking about was that the right thing to do or not? And I think in the in the case of The Last of Us, the sequel is all about exploring that decision. Mm-hmm. And not whether it was right, but whether or not the character stands by it. You know, and I think that's the more interesting thing is like, will Kratos regret this? Because I mean it's no coincidence that in the myth as well, the death of Balder is the thing that starts Ragnarok. You know, that is right. that is the moment Loki pushes everyone too far. And it's kind of funny in the myth, like very different scene. Everyone's like, it's so cool and funny that Balder can't get hurt by anything. So it's all the gods just like throwing axes and swords at Balder. And he's like, yeah, nothing hits me. Isn't this funny? And then, you know, Loki, of course, figures out that mistletoe is the one thing. And then that leads to the the end of Balder, but yeah, I, I think like a, as the conflicts grow, I wonder if Kratos will be haunted by that decision at all, given that that will be the inciting event in some ways. Yeah. Hey, listen, guys, we'll I think maybe we should take a break. <laughs> think about what Kratos did. Think about uh, time out. Yeah. And then come back and uh, see where, see where the night takes us. Yeah. That sounds great to me. I was about to. Sounds good to me. H- hit up the chat and be like, I think, I think I need to. <laughs> Stand up for oh my god it, it has been it has been i don't think we've ever recorded this long without a break before oh my god i didn't even yeah i didn't even have the the thing open i didn't well see yeah brendan, <laughs> brendan was as soon as we took the last break brendan was like half an hour we might be in for a quick one i was like there's no way, <laughs> <laughs> there's no way. You're like we haven't talked about atreus yet we <laughs> haven't even talked about brock yet Hello, welcome back to the show. Uh, We're going to just, I guess, go over some like stray stuff that didn't come up in the previous segment. I want to start off this segment by mentioning that I just am on IMDb, as you know, one is uh, looking at God of War Ragnarok. Just found out that uh, the voice of Odin is going to be Richard Schiff, who played Toby in the West Wing. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Fascinating. Maybe not my first choice, but definitely a good choice. Very excited about that. Glad he's, glad he's getting work. I like I like that actor a lot. Me too. I'm a big fan. Really surprising. I'm I'm so excited for Ragnarok to happen. Um, Me too. But that having been said, Brendan, you were just mentioning that you had some questions, uh, and I feel like that would maybe be a good way to lead off this segment. Yeah. All right. First question: uh, What difficulty level did you guys play at? I played on normal or the balance difficulty in New Game Plus. I bumped it up to the next level, so not the like hardest where you can't switch it. Like there's like, mm-hmm. the like you know, I think it's just called like God of War or something. So I played normal first and now I'm playing a little bit harder. Mm. I played yeah. normal my first way through and then whatever the easiest one is on this one, uh, which was honestly great for just revisiting yeah. the game. Um, yeah, I started off on hard and then it kind of felt this was one of my like light lightest of complaints. It just felt like the enemies just had more health. Like it wasn't like there was yeah. anything else like mechanically going on. It was just like. Oh, this is taking longer. So I bumped it back down and had a, had a great time. But I, I, I do think this game is um, 
with the exception of a couple things, like I found it quite easy. Mm. There were some moments early on where it was really hard, and then I kind of steamrolled through the whole game. Like I mentioned that quest I did, freeing the dragon. I did, I, I found some of the side quests had weird difficulty curves where like, like throughout the quest, the levels would go dramatically higher. So like mm-hmm. I'll be fine early on, and then all of a sudden there'd be like a level seven wolf, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I die in one hit, mm-hmm. so I just gotta yeah. be at my best self, I guess. But in the main plot... I found it to be, this is the kind of game where I, I don't really, there are specific moments where I enjoy a challenge, but overall I enjoyed just like kind of powering through everything. It, just, it even made more sense narratively to just mm-hmm. be like unstoppable. Um, but I think like what's fun is that if you do want a big challenge, there are like optional fights on the map that I think the challenge of those fights, like the Valkyries are the big post game like they're all across the map essentially dark souls bosses and in those battles you can you can get a deeper appreciation for the nuances of the combat so like i like that if you are someone who really wants to see like all the systems at work that exist but for the main experience you kind of just want to go through it so yeah i found it to be like weird moments of difficulty spikes but overall pretty standard yeah i found i found like the realm tears where were something that way like way i would find them before i was even close to the level that i should should be fighting them at where it's like a level oh, yeah. seven <laughs> ice person and i'm like i haven't even gotten the chaos blades yet yeah mm. and then the valkyries i had more fun with this time i think the, the last time i played the game i was like oh they're impossible no more and this time <laughs> yeah, i was yeah. a little bit like i'm gonna do it i'm gonna beat i'm gonna beat the valkyries there's a fun rhythm. You've got to use your shield for sure, which makes it feel like a Dark Souls fight. Um, I found that I found that because they it's it's a uh, like it has the Dark Soulsy thing, but they are all like essentially the same enemy with like connected moves. Like they like some of them will have the exact same moves as other Valkyries. Like I found I would use it like settle on a strategy and then do it until it, I won. Yeah, each, there but, like, are each one had a different strategy. It wasn't like just parrying would get you through. I think that helped with one of the Valkyries and then another one was like, oh, that doesn't work. Yes. Because exactly. she's using all of these like elf magic attacks. Yeah. So, yeah. It, it, every Valkyrie is different, but I found them to be manageable this time. Yeah. The the Valkyrie fights, I think, are probably the most rewarding thing in the game if you can like manage to make your way through them. Um I, I, I think it, it goes back to a thing that you were talking about earlier, just narratively speaking, like the Valkyries are supposed to be a force for good, right? Uh, hypothetically. Um, and in this game, they seem to be super fucking evil. And, you know, why would that be? The answer really just comes down to Odin being a piece of shit again, where he's <laughs> like, oh, yeah, the Valkyries are too powerful. So I'm just going to imprison them essentially is what happens. Was the, was the idea that these Valkyries had died and then he was like, but I'm going to keep you in a weird metal suit. I think like, so. I, yeah. I, I, I had not quite. I, I still haven't gotten to the bottom of what the the Valkyries. Yeah, you deal might be right. Is, except that Odin's responsible, and they want to die. Yes, you're free. You're freeing them uh, by yeah. killing them in combat honorably. Yes. Also worth noting, they are. They're kind of very. They're very bird like. They have like feathers and like. Uh, they behave like. They're almost more like harpies in some ways than mm-hmm. like Valkyries are traditionally kind of angelic in how they're depicted. And in mythology, they essentially show up to bring the honorable dead to the halls of Valhalla. But again, in this game, it seems like everyone who would go to Asgard probably already is there. So everyone else is just either (laughs) like a tree or a spirit somewhere. So there's really no work for the Valkyries right now. Yeah. I don't know if we, we actually mentioned, I know we mentioned Mimir 
is a head that you carry around. But like when you meet him, he's a tree. Yeah, he's 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 being tortured he's, by Odin every day. That's a really sad moment where he's like, you know, because he essentially asks Kratos to cut his head off, and he's like, "Why do you want that?" And he goes like, "He tortures me like every day. Like this isn't living. Like even if." This plan yeah. doesn't work and you cut off my head and I die like I'd rather just find peace at this point. That's the thing mm-hmm. is he's making a, he's making a gamble when he yeah. asks Kratos to cut off his head where he's like if it works I'll wake up soon. <laughs> I just as, love like as a, as a head. Um and if it and doesn't And if it doesn't work, you're still doing me a favor. Yeah. Yeah. I think he I think he's like honestly like tricking Kratos a little bit where like Odin's going to be pissed. Oh yeah, like either either way. Yeah, but I love the scene where you you have to bring. He's like, bring me to the witch of the woods, and maybe her magic can do something, or maybe Atreus recommends it. Either way, they end up going in there, and he just knocks on the door, and he's like, "Can you fix this?" And it's like a disembodied head. <laughs> I brought you a head with some yeah. tattoos and horns. <laughs> I want to see a cut of this game that's just from Freya's perspective, where like she's in her house doing her thing, and every like few hours, Kratos barges in and is like, "Help me with this." Uh, that'd be great. I mean, I, mean, I know I, I I think I've kind of made this point before, but that's what I really like about this story is like most most treatments of the story would make the the main characters the main characters, but Kratos and Trace are not the main the protagonists of this story. Really, you're like locked in on these people who are not like it's not Odin and Thor and the giants. It's like these people who don't quite know their role in it, and Freya is like a big part of the story who's like trying to stay away. Yeah, well, she's doing what Kratos was doing early. I mean, in some ways, Kratos is the stranger for Freya, you know, knocking on her door Mm -hmm. and bringing her into this myth. But that's a great point that, like, obviously, Kratos and Atreus are are this force going through the world and changing things for better and for worse. But if you had a bird's eye view, if you had, you know, Odin's eye and saw all these stories happening at once you could tell a myth about anyone in this game. You know, you could be like, this is how Brock and Sindri like ended their rivalry and became the best smiths in all of all of the realms again. Or this is what tragedy met Baldur and and Freya. There there are a series of myths happening in unison. Uh kind of like how all the realms are are essentially on top of each other. Like they all kind of exist in the same space, but you can't really perceive them. I think that's also happening on a narrative level with all the different pairings, mm. uh, which is very interesting. Yeah, just just to close the loop on um, Brock and Sindri, because I think that was my favorite storyline this time. Like I yeah. kind of I knew I knew as soon as I met both of them this this playthrough, I was like, oh yeah, you're gonna bring them back together. But the thing I hadn't remembered was like they feel an enormous amount of guilt for um, making Mjolnir. Like make, giving that's Thor right. his hammer, yeah, and like the axe that you're carrying. Eventually, you realize, like, oh, that was supposed to fight against Thor. Like that right. was why they made it. They were like, we made this weapon, and we think it went badly. Like, like, <laughs> like it was like maybe a bad thing to have done. And I think that's like kind of why they end up splitting up as like a smithing duo and as brothers because they're like, when we're together, we did some bad stuff. Yeah. Another thing we forgot to bring up is that Faye, uh, Kratos's late wife, is seemingly beloved by everyone you meet and especially the dwarves like one of the reasons they help you is essentially to continue her legacy which seemed to be a protector of you know everyone in this realm that the gods scorn like she used her axe to fight for good essentially which is why kratos continues to wield it yeah one one feeling i had at the at the end of the game uh was just like she's the most interesting character in the whole universe here 
And like, we don't ever get to like see her, know what she looks like, know what she talks like. And like, she's interesting on a mythical, like on the, on the mythology level, but she's also interesting if you're just like, who marries Kratos? <laughs> like this guy wanders in from, from out of nowhere and you're like, ah, yes, a husband. <laughs> uh. Someone I can relate to and trust. He's yes. racked with guilt and can go to Spartan <laughs> mode. Like it's, I don't see the appeal on first glance, except that he's ripped. Yeah, I, I, I feel like there's definitely I mean, I think you're right that we the thing is, if we got to see her, it would spoil a lot, you know, um, like I think. Yeah, no, I just want to pre- I want a prequel. Oh, yeah. And I wonder if we'll get flashbacks in Ragnarok, honestly, I could, I could see mm-hmm. that happening. But I, I think you're right that like she's so fascinating because she's also not a god. She's this major player in this world that she was a giant, theoretically, even though she wasn't like actually huge. She was from Jotunheim, which is why, you know, the murals on the wall and everything. And it's implied that she kind of foresaw that journey. And one of the many reasons she told them to go there, which, you know, once you get to the highest point in Midgar, you learn like, oh, she meant like the highest point in the realm of the giants, (laughs) the actual Mm -hmm. highest point. Yeah. But yeah, I I do. I do wish we got a little more from her and hopefully we'll get that in in Ragnarok potentially. Yeah, I, it's obviously a function of the story where like it it can't be the the focal like it, they need to be in the dark. It needs to like it all circles back at the end. I understand like the but um definitely at the end I was like oh, she's so interesting. Yeah, yeah, especially the whole like, game could have been about her. Who who does Brock and Sindri love that much? You know, like I like those those kinds of things when you meet the people who have met Faye and they mm-hmm. speak about her with such a high regard. You're like, you're they an asshole like to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what, how how great was this person? Like, I, you just want to meet somebody that great, you know? Absolutely. It's like meeting a friend of a friend that you always hear about. She's kind of like Tyr, where like those are two characters that are not yeah. present at all that are revered by everyone. That's very interesting. Yeah. Tyr, Tyr seems like a chiller. <laughs> yeah, Tyr seems great. And in some ways, he seems to be like, a bit of a combination of different gods from from the myths but um i'm really curious that's like the that's another really big seed of intrigue planted for for the next game so so my so i i don't tear is similar to like balder i guess like just like um maybe had heard the name before this game but definitely not aware of the story and my read was that tear is dead like in the game yeah it um, seems like, I, Tyr, I, like now yeah. that we're talking about him again i'm realizing I might have been uh, premature in that. It's just like he's gone. Uh, that happened a long time ago. Um, I that so that was my assumption. But I, I could he could. The show implication up and, seems to be that he's been gone for so long that he's presumed dead. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. At least at least that was my read this time around. I I always just kind of assumed he was dead. Um, but I mean I don't want to spoil too much. But it seems like in the trailer there's a guy who I am assuming is here in it. Okay. Like hanging out with Kratos and Atreus. So it's possible that we might end up meeting Tyr unless that's a different dude. But that that seems to be the case is like my my like top level read on it by by the time I wrapped this game was like, yeah, Tyr was too nice. Everybody liked him too much. And Odin didn't like that. So he killed him. Mm hmm. It's if you stand out too much, Odin, you become a target of Odin, basically. Exactly. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, were, were there any other, as we're kind of just like talking about moments of the game, were there any other standout moments? I mean, the game is full of them, but like, were there any places or quests or moments that really stood out to you that you want to talk about while we're together? Yeah, the the thing that I'm, I'm most shocked by every time I play this game is um, 
the black breath coming out of the mountain. Uh, Oh yeah. Like when you're going to what you think is the highest peak in all the realms and it turns out it's not, um, you can't actually climb the mountain in Midgard until you find some kind of light that can pierce through this like black smoke that's pouring out of a, a mouth of a face that's been carved into the side of a mountain. I just think that's like one of the most striking images I've seen in a game. And I think about it like a lot, a lot. Yeah. Like I, I'm, I really do refer back to that in my mind when I'm like experiencing cool fantasy stories, like watching, I don't know, like the Lord of the Rings show on Amazon or something. I'm like, yeah, this is cool, but is it the black breath of the mountain? Cool. <laughs> I don't know. It's the new standard for cool. It yeah. kind of is for me. That's yeah. That's that's a really great moment. I mean, every place is so striking visually. I think like one I already brought up was returning to Alfheim after going there for the first time. And Alfheim, yeah, like that's where um, all the elves kind of are like a little bit insect esque. They have like little bug wings, which is kind of yeah. interesting. That realm is it, it's sort of like I, I think they do a good job not making every realm just like exactly like Midgard, but you know a different aesthetic like they all sort of serve different purposes. Like Helheim, you're really only going for like major story beats. It's like not really somewhere you're going to like explore freely. Whereas Alfheim is like a little bit smaller than Midgard, but is full of weird puzzles. And there's a lot in that place that when you go there for the story, you're probably going to go back because there's so much you can't do when you're there for the first time. Like, I don't know why I love the uh, the magic doors where you have to like locate the glowing spawn. Oh, and so satisfying! <laughs> I, They're really good. I don't know why like that's one of my favorite things to do in the game. But there's like so many of that, and also things you need the chaos blades for. And then coming back and seeing like how you have physically changed that realm is so cool. Uh, I, I love that moment. I mean, I really like the Muselheim and Nivelheim stuff. Yeah, like it's, yeah. it's like a it's a fun like to me like second game tucked in the game. Where where it's just like, what if we made this like a little more arcadey, but like tucked it in, like so it's like almost part of the story. Um, and I, I just found, I think the the first time I played the game, once I found Muselfheim, I was like, I'm gonna do all of it before I do any else, anything else in this game. Yeah, they do a good job of gating you through Muselfheim as well as you continue to like try and do that like if if you unlock moves behind me you're like i'm gonna make it all the way to the end of this there are moments yeah. where it's like oh you actually need the blades of chaos to be able to continue but they kind Absolutely. of they just like figure out like smart ways of, of gating you that way one of the last bosses of moose is a valkyrie which is also mm-hmm. fun uh so if you're you know making your way through all those valkyrie fights you do need to like make it to the end of Muspelheim and also Niflheim, which i love like that the valkyries are these like you know there there's a there's one of the i think there's nine valkyries total one of them is like easy and you can do it at the end of the game all the other ones are like no 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 it's like the last boss of Muspelheim. it's like you gotta get to the end of Niflheim somehow it's really really difficult to make your way through that stuff and then and then it starts over yeah <laughs> um, was also where uh i realized that sometimes the best move is to go with fists um, yeah which mm. which took me a long time to figure out where i was like oh the like r3 move is like actually the most effective in the game and if you can get there really fast that's how you can beat like there's one challenge where it's like you can't take any damage. Mm. And I think my first attempt, I was like, okay, I'm going to use ranged attack with the axe. And pretty quickly, I was like, that's not going to work. You need to kill everything as fast as possible. Yeah. You talking about using the fists to to take enemies as quickly as possible. In those moments, you kind of see a little bit of like the recent Doom games where 
they gave you like enough enemy variety that like it's always fresh but at a certain point in the game you know exactly like okay a revenant i've got to use like my fists and arrows and like i know exactly how to take out this enemy and it becomes like a very like quick and choreographed series of events it's really thrilling i love to like there are some enemies where like a lot of them are three will just be a dramatic finishing move but then for larger enemies kratos just like jumps on top and kind of controls them briefly it's it's Mm -hmm. very similar to uh monster hunter where like you can uh in monster hunter rise you can like sort of lasso a monster and ride it and make it fight another monster it's so cool i I love those moments have either of you found the infinity gauntlet no no okay (laughs) yeah i wanted to ask you about like i feel like you have a much broader knowledge of what happens after the game i was uh super shocked to learn that there was a thor cutscene that you could trigger yeah but I don't know anything else after that. Like I've I've played the game. I feel like I've been on the boat and been like, oh, I wonder what else is around. But I haven't <laughs> figured anything out. Yeah. So, okay. So the Thor thing, to be clear, involves you just like needing to go back to your house after the game is over. It's so, like you go up to the Outenheim, you do the whole thing. And then the credits roll. If you go back to the house at any point and like sit down on your bed. Well, uh, so you suddenly have an option to rest. It's yeah. like, like if you want to lay down after all this now's yeah. the time and then uh and then essentially it cuts to a dream that atreus is having of thor showing up at your house during ragnarok um which uh is setting up for ragnarok which is fun yeah the the post game is like surprisingly I don't, I don't deep think it, i don't think it's a dream it like has a title card that's just like some years later it is a dream that he like wakes up after yeah. okay okay yeah yeah, yeah. It, it cuts to after that like they go back in time again and then it's like them waking up from that rest and atreus is like i had the wildest dream there was a guy with a tiny hammer uh <laughs> anyway uh yeah the the post game of of this game is is surprisingly deep i mean we've been talking about the valkyries a lot that's like definitely i think you know the top tier of stuff that you can do they make that clear like right at the end of the game yeah. like the valkyries are now on your map you can go see, like go to them because but before the end of the game you might find some of them but i think that finding yeah. the valkyries is pretty specific yeah yeah yeah, they're they're pretty hard to come across for the most part um unless you're like really seeking them out which i think is very cool but i also appreciate that as we were mentioning before they kind of like the quest of going and finding and freeing all the valkyries also leads you down all these other paths to all of the other endgame stuff like muspelheim for example and niflheim which is a place where you go and farm mist echoes which all of this stuff, like Muspelheim and Niflheim specifically, although they're like cool things that you can go do by themselves, they really are just like separate quests to get even cooler and better armor. And the whole reason you'd want to finish either of those sections is just to have armor good enough for your playstyle to go up against the Queen of the Valkyries. Like, that's the big thing is like that is like the real like kingdom hearts 2 sephiroth fight of this game that's like really really the last fight it's gonna challenge you so much it's gonna be so hard it's like it's it's a brutally difficult fight um and you really need any advantage you can possibly have uh so that that's really i think i think where the like moose behind niflheim stuff ends is like the mist echoes will get you one kind of armor that might suit your play style the moose behind stuff might give you armor that will suit your play style just kind of figure out which one or alternatively you can find through a a, a post-game quest that brock and sindri will give you uh, about their family um it'll end with you finding a broken and shattered gauntlet with six gem slots in it <laughs> And if you go and find that and bring it to Brock and Sindri, they will repair it 
and allow you to start going and finding through all the realms literally six infinity stones uh there's i mean they're like they're not really being too coy about where this is coming from like the the gems they're they're just runes that you can slot into this gauntlet that you have the gauntlet becomes um I forget what it's called. It's your like, uh, it's your like enchantment or whatever that you can equip, um, and then you can equip runes to that. Um, and and they're like Andvari's soul, Eye of the Outer Realm, Muspelheim's Eye of Power, Evaldi's Corrupted Mind, Asgard's Stone of Existence, Njord's Temporal Stone. Like those are just those are just the Infinity Stones from Marvel <laughs> stuff. Um, and essentially, what you can do is just pick all of them and equip them all to this gauntlet and if you can equip all of them to the gauntlet what happens is whenever you like press the r3 button you shoot out this big like infinity stone blast that just like knocks everything in front of you back it's it (laughs) rules and it's like really helpful when you're fighting the valkyries if you go and you get that gauntlet and you equip all those stones and you go fight the valkyries it's like surprisingly a lot easier to do because you can essentially stagger them like mid move instead of going and like trying to parry and then attack or trying to just block and tank and attack. You can instead use the infinity gauntlet and just kind of push them back mid animation and then just like, you know, beat them up. Um, It's honestly, I think the process of finding it and putting it together also is really rewarding and like worth doing. And it's just amazing that it's in there. Oh, I think I'm going to go, do this tonight maybe <laughs> it sounds yeah, it's, fun it's really cool it's it's a really cool experience there's there's like other stuff you know hidden around the game um that that's really cool but that that in particular to me is like i can't believe that that's just in the game and you could you could not know at all that like you you could find any of those gems individually and not really piece together that it's one of the infinity stones you know yeah i think i have a couple of you probably the, the do. thing the the the, the Stones you were listing, I was like, oh yeah, I, I found at least a couple of these. Yeah, had I, I thought it was just stuff you could equip to your totally normal normal armor. Again, it's just another magic trick this game is pulling, uh, which is mm-hmm. honestly really cool. That's like in uh, in Final Fantasy VI, there are some late game weapons that just look like lightsabers, which was a similar deal. Where it's like, <laughs> <laughs> if you if you have the curiosity, you can just find other IP in this game somehow. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. Yeah. What runic attacks were you guys using? What's what's everybody? What's that? What's the what's the setup? Because uh, so I, I I found the um. Did anybody do the ice beam for the axe? I never did. Oh, yeah, I, I I liked the the. They give you a little like video of what it's gonna look like, which I appreciate. And I, I remember being like, oh, that looks cool, but I never used it. That one felt it was over, It was like too good. Like it, it does so <laughs> it does so much damage. Like it was just like I was like, oh, this one's broken. I'll yeah. never yeah. take it off my axe. <laughs> Freezes people. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it, that one's really good. Um, it's like the first thing I do when I run into any boss. I'm like, give him a beam. <laughs> give him the beam. Start off on the right foot. <laughs> I use Hell's Touch for a lot of the game for R1, which is just like a quick blast around you that just like briefly stuns enemies. Um, yeah. I found it was really helpful because a lot of enemies like to get behind you. Because they know this game is a over-the-shoulder third-person game and they want to win. So <laughs> using that ability really is a great, just like, okay, get off me and then I can make my next move. I found that to be pretty helpful. Eventually, I changed it to, um, I forgot the name of it, but similar move, but it had a little bit of a bigger wind-up where I think it might have been Fury of the Frost Giants where he would like swing yes. his axe and then there was like a big radius of ice. That was the one mine. I used for the heavy attack was just adding frost damage to the axe 
Uh, so like mm. it would just add that to future hits, which seems to just be a button in Ragnarok. Like that ability is just something mm-hmm. you can do if you hit triangle in the next game, <laughs> which is very funny to me. But those those are the main runes. Yeah, it it seems like Ragnarok. At least based on what we've seen from Ragnarok, it seems like the the focus is you know how how they're expanding combat specifically is like really leaning into making you use elemental attacks even more so and just like mapping that to the triangle button so whenever you're using the the blades or the axe i'm also really curious if there's gonna be a third weapon do you think they're gonna add a third one i mean i so yeah i think like the big like Chekhov's gun is like do you get thor's hammer you know because like the viathan axe has has mjolnir-esque things where you can call it back i wonder if eventually like at the very end, you can get Thor's hammer or not. Uh, Kratos or maybe is in oh. Fortnite. Maybe he'll get like <laughs> the port of Fort. <laughs> I, I know I should have been ready for that, but I really wasn't. That was a, that was a gut punch. Steven, it's time. This is a Fortnite segment. It's happening here. <laughs> what what kind of Fortnite do you think Kratos will have in, in Ragnarok? Uh, what were your uh, what were your main attacks, Brendan? Main one was the. Uh, uh, for the R1 on the axe was that that beam and then there's one for the chaos blades that like you just kind of do one big whip motion uh, and it does a big fireball at the end but it slows down a little bit like the animation like like it takes its time and that was very satisfying to me so I just That's kept awesome. that I was like I felt like you I would just pick one where I'm like I like this more than the others. I'm not I'm not I'm not going back to the drawing board on this again. Like this is I, I didn't do it consciously, but I just like never switched stuff out after a certain point. Like mm. once I got used to it, I like unless I like picked one up that looked really cool, I usually just kind of like I feel like at the halfway point or a little bit past, like kind of had settled into what I was using special attack wise. Yeah, that makes sense. Now that I think about it, I must have found one of the infinity stones because I had a th- like it was like you have R1, R2, and then circle for your runic attacks. Mm-hmm. And my circle attack was this orange stone that did like a big blast in front of me. So that like might it. have been one of them. Yeah. Yeah. I had one that was like called like Eye of the Realm Tear and it did like made the whole like air ripply. But I really liked that one. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Honestly, that's like the reason to do New Game Plus also is like when you get to jump into new game plus and you have the infinity gauntlet it's much better than like just getting it to fight the last valkyrie you know mm-hmm. being able to you go to through the, the entire game. game and just be like <laughs> <laughs> i really want to see kratos decked out with like the blades of chaos the infinity gauntlet glowing armor and telling the stranger you don't want this fight like really <laughs> really meaning it this time like no 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 like i know i said it the first time but really you do not want this fight dude i friend. went through ragnarok I came back, I started over, <laughs> and I took we've, all my shit with me. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to feel something if we start this, so take a hike. Yeah, you're going to be feeling more than snow, my guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. On that note, maybe do we want to wrap up? Unless, Brenda, do you, have, do you have anything else you want to talk about? No, I think I think the thing I was surprised about was just like how much... I think the first time I played this game, I thought it was like this like really tight object. And now I'm mm-hmm. uh, th- this time I was playing it being like they're seeding so much stuff for another game, um, yeah. like all, all the way through, like even there being like a bunch of realms where it's just like you're never going to go there. Yeah. Right. And you're and I was just like this time I was like, oh, you know what? Like realm unavailable might not be like obviously we couldn't get to Jotunheim before. 
you can probably find ways to all these other realms. And I don't know what they're, what they're, I don't know what Vanaheim is supposed to be like, but it sounds cool. Yeah. yeah that's where the veneer are from, which is what Freya is. So essentially okay. like the Acer and the Vanir are basically like the two ruling gods, but the Aesir are more like, you know, kind of like Skyrim uh, gods and the veneer are more tied to nature. So they're more like kind of druidic, which is why Freya's hut is like under a turtle and she's friends with boars and stuff. So I imagine it will probably be like very woodsy. I wonder if that's maybe where like more because a lot of the shots of Ragnarok have been like more visible towns and stuff. So I wonder if like that is the realm where like there's more life happening. Uh, We'll see. I imagine it will end in Asgard in some capacity. Like it has to. I am thrilled to go check out (laughs) Asgard in this game. I am like, uh, that is the reason I am so excited to check out Ragnarok. Like more than anything else, I just want to see what Asgard looks like in this world. It's going to be so fun. Yeah, they made the the fog realm exciting. You can make Asgard exciting. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just the fog realm. They're like, yeah, no, air's poison. Awful. Yeah, air's poison. And <laughs> I love Amir's like, why are we here? Like, what is <laughs> <that to> here? <laughs> There's this guy. All he did was make the air poisonous and build mazes and die. <laughs> <laughs> that's great yeah i that's, uh, that's a that's all i had though <laughs> i think you're right though i mean i think that's the beauty of the game is like the core experience is this really like intentional perfectly executed knot and then if you want to untie it there's so much around the game that's kind of going back to like their approach I don't know if I would say open world, but it's like there is more if you want it in a way that's not overwhelming. And that goes back to, Mm -hmm. I think, intentionality. They're not just saying like, oh, there are, you know, eight side quests that are like do X, Y or Z. It's like every like, you know, there there are some like the mechanical ask is very much like go here and fight these monsters. But like there's always a little bit of story there, even if it's like like that one quest for the spirit where you go to the this like pirate ship and you see the skeletons and you see that that spirit's son was like his mm-hmm. whole crew turned on him but he was the yeah. last one standing like you always oh, yeah. get something like that in these side quests that one was a good like because you're just going into it like it feels like a normal one where it's like you're gonna go in here to get a whetstone i think yeah exactly for for brock or sindri and then like they're like oh actually this is like a three-parter um, yeah <laughs> Where exactly. you're gonna, you find out this like another tale of sons killing fathers and vice versa. Yeah, I think it's telling that usually when we record a bonus, it kind of feels like you know we we have spent a lot of time and and energy on a game, and it's sort of like a closing the book on it in in some way. And in this case, I really just want to play it again. <laughs> like talking about all this, I really just want to do Nick Game Plus again. And again, what's really exciting? I know we keep talking about the next game, but like it comes out relatively soon, which is also really really exciting i can't wait to play it i think my feeling like brendan at the very and i think both of you at the very beginning of the the show were like if you haven't played this game very strong recommendation to play it like if you have played this game and you're gonna play ragnarok i would recommend playing it again like it would it had a lot more replay value than i expected it to i was kind of doing it so i would be refreshed so i could talk about it for a however many hours we've been going um, <laughs> maybe three but once i once i was in and definitely once i was past that like opening section like past freya and you're getting to like the world starting to open up like i was like no i'm doing all the side quests again 
Like, yeah. like I was, I was so in it again and I found the story to be like a little more interesting this time in ways that I was surprised by. Yeah. Even in this playthrough, which I really anticipated on just being like, I'm going to do the critical path. No side quest for me this time. going to play on easy, just like need to go through it just to kind of like get a refresher for all the things that I remembered, man, that I do a lot of side quests. Like I <laughs> really, like I really went and did most of them. The only stuff that I really didn't do this time around was the post game stuff. Uh, Mm -hmm. which is pretty wild to have the desire to do all of that twice. Uh, I don't, I don't, I, I can't think of another game that I felt that way about. Yeah. It was surprising at the very beginning of, of this playthrough. I was a little bit like, is this holding up after Elden Ring? Um, I think a lot of the like exploration <laughs> yeah. stuff felt really like, oh, I'm going to go down this path and then there'll be a chest with some hack silver in it. Like it just, like it's mm-hmm. not as open. It's not as flexible. The picking equipment is really boring, but like it's so playable. And then yeah. like once you're in, you're in and it's like a very carefully told story. So I was yeah. um, very impressed. Yeah, they're very different experiences. As, as much as Elden Ring is a huge game, I, I wouldn't consider it like a blockbuster in this way, in the sense that like that is a game to really get lost in. And I th- I feel like this game is someone telling you a myth, and Elden Ring is like, actually, you're just living in a myth as it it's happens. It's just a myth, yeah. And no one knows the story yet. So that would be, that would be the uh, main difference, in my opinion. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I guess that's it. I, I guess, guess we should. It. I guess we should wrap up. Uh, Brenda, I'm going to extend you an open invitation to come back when Ragnarok comes out. If you want to come on and talk yes, about it, that'd be um, so fun. Hell yeah! I feel like that'd be a fun follow up. I'll have to play it so fast for me. <laughs> because, like, um, just for, I told I told Brendan and, and Stephen this before, but um, they told me months ago that I'd be doing this in September, and I started playing God of War immediately. I was like that day. I was like, I got to download it again and get started. Um, and they both be didn't play it for probably a month and beat it before me so quickly. <laughs> like I just this, got a group text where it was like, Brendan's like, finished, world credits. And Stephen's like, I think I'm maybe an hour left from the end. <laughs> I, like, I got the Chaos Blades after four weeks. <laughs> this is um, one where I'm really glad I started early because like I, I'm... I'm glad I got a chance to savor it a little bit, even though like it was still pretty quick. There are some bonuses where like it's I mean, I remember I I loved Mother 3 and I loved that episode. It's one of my favorites we've done. But I finished Mother 3 minutes before we started recording. Uh, not the ideal way to play a game or record an episode about it. So, yeah, uh, yeah. I think I'll, I'll carry forward the God of War lesson. Start a little early. Enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, and also no pressure to finish God of War Ragnarok before we talk about it, by the way. I imagine we'll probably just discuss the opening <laughs> yeah. couple hours, but also we'll see where I'm at. I don't know. I, I'm I'm feeling the pull. Um, Brendan, thank you so much for coming on this yeah, episode thank of the you. show. Uh, oh, it's thank been you great for to having me. You. I'm a, I'm a huge, huge Aether fan. Uh, one, of the, one of the best podcasts. Oh, that's wow. so nice of you. Thank, you. thank you so much. Do you have anything you'd like to plug on the way out? Oh, yeah. Um, I, have a, I have a podcast out that definitely the first episode will be out by the time this publishes. Um, it is about the website Second Life, which was like an early metaverse. Things got things got pretty weird. Um, it's a podcast I'm making <laughs> with the Wall Street Journal. So if you go to the journal feed and look for how to build a metaverse, um, that'll be the podcast. It's fun. I think if you like video games, it's like about a bunch of video game people trying to like build neil stevenson's version of the metaverse um and it, and it goes in interesting directions and we get into why people are kind of still spending their lives there um mm. so yeah I, i'm fine I'm, I, I think it's i think it's good i'm i'm looking forward to hearing it yeah if it sounds interesting how to build a metaverse the journal nice 
Steven, what do you want to plug? <laughs> this is cool game where you play as a dad and his son, uh, but the son doesn't know he's a quarter giant. So you've got to take a very long hike and you're hunted by a dude with the mullet who can't feel anything. Uh, you cut off a guy's head, you go inside a big worm and then it ends. <laughs> Uh, so I think you're going to really enjoy warm, that. Warm with a Y. <laughs> warm with a Y is a good podcast name. I don't know for what, but I feel like I'm just going to throw it out there. Like, That's a great idea. Thanks for listening to Warm with a Y. We're talking about feeling nothing. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, nothing, nothing big right now. I, I am. Uh, I'm happy we finally recorded this. This has been. This has been like, like you said at the beginning. It's one of those episodes we've been wanting to do for forever so I'm, I'm really glad we finally did i had a lot of fun with you both yeah i imagine this won't be the last time we talk about this game also because i i mean there are still things that i feel like i could talk about for a long time but uh i, I feel like keeping it concise keeping it restrained just like god of war 2018 is probably the move <laughs> so shout out to all of you out there for listening thank you so much for listening to the thank show you. as we said uh this is a bonus episode and as we say every time we do a bonus episode uh these are made possible by the patreon as long as we have a single person back in the patreon we will continue to make these bonus episodes you can find that at patreon.com slash into the cast thank you so much everybody who's doing that the one dollar tier will get you access to an entirely separate feed of different bonus episodes just for patrons uh that we make kind of on a whim um we also have a five dollar tier which gives you access to an air table which has a list of every game we've ever talked about every episode that we've recorded including upcoming games that we're excited about and upcoming plans for future episodes um so if you want a little like behind the scenes look into what we're planning what we're working on our ideas for bonuses and things like that um you can check that out uh thank you so much to everybody who has done that outside of that you can go to into the cast online which is our link to pretty much everything including um your access point to the discord which is very lively and fun and cool and growing and evolving every single day um come be a part of that all of that having been said time to sign off my name is brendan bigley you can find me on the internet at brendan bigley it began it ended it will happen it is happening uh you can find me at steven hilger thank you so much for listening have a wonderful day take a long walk maybe to the highest point in the realm it'll be nice <laughs> <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye.